We're going to get this meeting started. Good evening, Vacaville. This is the regularly scheduled city council meeting. This is the regularly scheduled city council meeting for July 25th, 2023. May I have a roll call? Council Agency Authority Member Stockton. Here. Richie. Here. Silva. Here. Chapman. Here. Roberts. Here. Vice Mayor, Vice Chair Wiley. Here. Mayor, Chair Carley. Here. Will you please stand with me for a moment of silence? Mr. City Manager, do we have any changes for our agenda tonight? Yes, Mr. Mayor, there is one change that I need to make the council aware of. Uh, agenda item 9B um, was being tabled to um, August 8th. We'd like to, at the request of the applicant, continue that to August 22nd. Other than that, there are no changes to the agenda. Great. Thank you. Do I have uh, a motion? Motion to approve. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. And next, item four, approval of the minutes. There is the minutes for the regular and special meetings of June 27th, 2023. Do motion I have an approval? We have a motion. Second. We have a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Moving on to presentations, seeing none, we will move on to the consent calendar. Uh, item six, Mr. City Manager, do we have any changes in this? We have no changes in the consent calendar. So there is items A through out or A through L. Do I have a motion? Do we have anybody from the public that wishes to pull this item? Any item from A through L? Being on anyone on the council that wishes to to pull an item. Now do I have a motion? Thank you. Do I have a second? We have a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? None. We will move on to business from the floor. This is a time for anyone who wishes to address the council on an item that is not before the council tonight, but it is in the council's jurisdiction. So with that, I will open it up and good evening. My name is Kimberly Fu. You may remember me um, with the reporter. I was there for 24 years. And now I'm with Congressman Mike Thompson's office. I just wanted to reintroduce myself and let you know if there's anything we can do to help, let me know. I believe you all have my new cards. And I wanted to invite you all to a veterans event that we have on August 3rd, two o'clock at the Veterans Hall. Um, it's regarding the PACT Act, which expands benefits for veterans exposed to toxic, toxic substances and their families are also um, invited to learn on how to apply for these benefits. They'll benefit too. So I'm gonna leave some of this information out in the hall and I left some up there for you guys. Yes. So thank you guys all so much and I'm happy that I still get to work with you guys and serve our community. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Members of the council, 
I want to begin by expressing my gratitude that you've agendized something that's very important to virtually everybody here, uh, most everybody here, and that is that we uh, have an opportunity to vote on our flagpoles and the flags that are uh, it's used for. And uh, my friend Raleigh is going to address that, our desires as a as a large part of the community, and uh, but also our gratitude that you have allowed this to be put on the agenda so we can have a discussion and hopefully uh, we can reach a good decision that will bring unity to our community. But today I would like to address a different issue, but it relates to the flag issue. So today I would like to request that the city government stay in your lane. And we as citizens believe that your lane, and you do a very good job, we're deeply appreciative, is our public safety. We appreciate that. We also appreciate you paving the roads. But we are requesting that today, that future proclamations that are issued by the city would avoid referring to controversial organizations as the LGBTQ to prevent creating division among well-meaning residents in our community. This is not your job. Your job is public safety. Your job is to pave our roads, et cetera. We love the homosexuals in our community, and we would risk our lives and even die to protect them from abuse. But what you need to understand from our perspective is that we have a very different solution for their challenges and problems. And that needs to be respected by this council and not create division that these proclamations use and occur. It's been suggested that because there's a precedent of issuing the proclamations for the LGBTQ, that we legally must continue them. This is not true and would not stand at the Supreme Court. According to Brett Harvey, I've been an ambassador for the Alliance Defending Freedom for 15 years. I've represented them in Sacramento and around the country. But Brett Harvey is their lead attorney for 6,000 allied lawyers in an organization with a $150 million budget. And according to Brett Harvey, who's the top legal counsel in Washington for this organization, no government is under duress to issue any proclamation, even if multiple proclamations have been issued previously to that issue. And thank, so thank we would like this council thank you. to consider that if they would. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, so what I'd like to do is just share um, a few items up front with the, with the audience and to the council tonight. First off, appreciate all of you coming out and being able to share. That's what civic duty is all about. Um, so that everyone understands is at the last city council meeting, the city council voted to agendize both a flag policy discussion and a potential policy for that, as well as the proclamation. Incident. Recognizing the interest that is here tonight, it is not on the agenda. So here's just a, a few of the ground rules just to understand them. 
you're entitled to your time. It's, it's registered. You will see it. Uh, everything flashes. You have three minutes to share. Just what I would ask is that just in the sense that this is not um, an opportunity for cheers and clapping, you can appreciate what people are saying, but that's not the purpose of this form of government. And so you can appreciate it on the on your on the inside and to yourself, but just uh, try to avoid the, uh, the the clapping and cheering or jeering or whatever it is that how you feel about it. that's not the that's not the purpose for this. Share your thoughts, and we want to hear that. And so, but I wanted you to know that it, it has been agendized. It doesn't mean that it's on the calendar yet, and it may come back September, October. We are we've asked staff to look into what the options are because that's the way we do it an agenda comes back to the council. And so the other thing that you won't have tonight is you won't have interaction with the council, but the council's here listening to you, okay? So with that, I'm gonna turn it back over to you and, and uh, good evening. Good evening, Mayor Carley. Good evening, Vice Mayor, council members. The last time I was here, I did speak to the Historical Foundation of America. Today, I want to speak a little bit about a different religious history. And I thank you, knowing that the proclamation matter will be taken care of in the future. However, unbeknownst to me, I made a few remarks regarding proclamations. The proclamation that was previously issued on sexual behaviors is a legal and spiritual embrace of pagan deities, Venus, Aphrodite, Ashtoreth, and Ishtar all pagan cults of sexual immorality and sexual rebellion. Ishtar, the goddess of transmutation and metamorphosis, turns a man into a woman and a woman into a man. In the Ishtar religion, the cultic priests were known as the Asinu, a man-woman. Destruction of sexual order is corrosive. Just look to Greece or Rome, where pedestry was the norm. America began its long descent into embracing the religion of Ishtar in 1969 at the Stonewall Riots. By 1973, the American Psychiatric Association, through coercion and militant activism, removed the definition of sex between two persons of the same gender from its Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, which it had previously identified such behavior as a mental disorder. The history of social norms began long before Rome, Greece, or even America. It began when God created male and female. Sexual behavior is a biological function. It is not an identity. Sodom and Gomorrah represents historical cities that God rejected the sexual disorder. City by city, America is drifting from its bedrock foundation of cultural and spiritual morality onto shifting sands. It's unfortunate that cities choose to embrace and celebrate a pagan cult through proclamations that promote the establishment of religion. That religion is Ishtar. Thank you. Good evening. Council, staff, uh, we want to thank you for sharing that information about the agenda. My name is Raleigh Galligan, citizen of Vacaville for 40 some years. Most of us, like we did here, put our hands on our hearts since kindergarten, and we pledged allegiance to the United States of America, and we're good with that. But what we're asking is that when you do your policy, that you limit it to the only flags flown on city property are government flags. United States, 
California, and the city of Vacaville. And if I'm not the only one that agrees with that, if you agree with that, raise your hand, would you? Don't make noise, but just raise your hand. And um, the day I was drafted in the United States Army, like many before me and many after me, I stood and took an oath. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I served behind the communist iron curtain at the Berlin Wall. I observed communism take away the rights of parents and then take the children away from the parents. Now, we don't really want to be here tonight. It would be easier if we stayed home, but it wouldn't be easier for our kids or our grandkids if we say nothing. A month ago, I watched on TV the demonstrators in the street of Manhattan, New York, while waving the same flag that we flew over our city the month of June. And they said the quiet part out loud in a chant, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children. And it's my understanding, AB Bill 957, and so Kim, if you would tell our representative that to vote that down, but if that passes, then that will weaponize child protective services. They will come into your home, they will take your babies if you deny their pronouns or deny their gender transition. My prayer for us is may God grant us the grace, faith, common sense, courage to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before him. Thank you. <clears throat> <clears throat> Regarding my flagpole forum request, on June 13, 2023, I read to this council the legal definition of limited, open, or public forum. Due to the fact that you had created one by allowing the LGBTQ plus flag to be flown during the month of June on the city flagpole at Andrews Park. Consequently, as per law, petitioners who have flags representing alternate viewpoints regarding human sexuality now also have equal flagpole privileges or the city of Vacaville could potentially be held liable for violating the First Amendment concerns of those petitioners. Specifically, quote, the restriction of a limited public um, limited public forum must be able to withstand strict judicial scrutiny of its effect on First Amendment rights. On June 27, 2023, I read to this council a request for members of the Vacaville Christian community that you allow the Christian flag to also be flown on the, on the Andrews Park City flagpole during the month of July and to issue the proclamation of inclusiveness, which I submitted to you at that meeting. I also asked that my request be considered for an immediate council decision. No action was made to honor my requests. On June 6, 2023, I emailed Mayor Carley <clears throat> asking if a city council date had been assigned to consider my flag petition. He responded, quote, the, the council unanimously voted to bring a flag policy agenda item to a future council meeting, end quote. He ended by saying, quote, I will let you know when this occurs. Regarding Mayor Carley's response, number one, the flag policy had already been established by the city allowing a limited public forum to the LGBTQ plus community to use a public property flagpole. Number two, I made my request for equal treatment during the city's current limited open forum policy. Number three, a flag policy agenda item does not specifically answer to my request. 
for this council to meet a change of policy or enact a change of policy before Vacaville Christians have received equal treatment would con constitute an obvious denial of First Amendment rights and would make the city of Vacaville vulnerable to, quote, strict judicial scrutiny, end quote, in a court of law. In closing, I was disappointed to find that my flagpole request was not on tonight's agenda, nor have I received a notice from Mayor Carley as to when it will be. Avoiding this requested agenda item is being interpreted as an attempt to deny by delay equal treatment to members of the Vacaville Christian community. Please enter this statement as a public, into the public record for today's date, July 25, 2023. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening, my name is Margie Stern and I've lived in Vacaville since 1977. And I came here to talk about clean energy, but I feel the need to also make a statement in response to what everyone else is saying, which is I want to thank you for flying the pride flag over Vacaville, that I appreciate you showing inclusivity and embracing um, all different kinds of people that normally have been ostracized. So I appreciate that you did it and thank you very much. What I want to talk about, also I came to support Play for All Park and the parking, just gonna throw that in there because um, we need more parking at the Play for All Park. Um, I want to encourage the city council to revisit enrolling in, a, enrolling in a community choice electricity program to get clean energy for our electric source. Thank you for the time and energy that you have spent researching this and looking for alternatives or finding out more about MCE. I also appreciate the communication that I've had from some of the city council members regarding this topic. Time is not on our side. This is an urgent issue, which I don't need to explain. Uh, we, unfortunately, we would not be able to start the program until 2026, because we missed the deadline for 2025. Additionally, I don't think we can wait for the legislature to change the law to allow an opt-in option. Education would be key to that issue um, just as MCE was willing to do and was doing and would con continue to do if we decide to go with them, but also city council would need to educate people. Almost all other cities in Solano County have joined MCE and are successfully using this program. I caution the city to not be swayed by misinformation that has been spread at our council, but also in other cities. Um, I am going to, um, I had one more thing to say if I can catch it in there, that the price that we really can't compare our town with other cities in terms of price because of the density and the size of our town. So comparing prices with other cities that have clean energy sources is not really appropriate to do. But I wanna thank you for your consideration. I wanna thank you for continuing to work on this. It's so important to support our community and I hope you bring it back to the city council. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening. I'm Harold Over. And it's a real privilege for me to stand here before you tonight because I have sat in your place. I sat in your place for many years and I know what it's like. You're going to hear a lot of talk tonight. 
And then you have to make a decision. What are you going to do? Where are you going to come from with the decision that you make? What a responsibility. I know what you got. What is going to determine the decision that you make? Who runs your mind? Who directs your life? I had to answer these for 80 years. It's a challenge. These people are all going to leave. What are you going to do? I'm reminded two incidents. Number one, the solid rock. Jesus Christ, the Word of God, is a solid rock. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you want to be on solid ground, I recommend that you use the Scriptures. You'll never go wrong because it's always right. And it'll always stand up for you. And when you stand before God and on that judgment day, his word will hold up for you. And that's where you are. What an accountability we have. I was there. I know. And I'm accountable for God. I was accountable for God for eight years for the decisions I made that all those people brought before me. What a responsibility. I know what a responsibility you have. But I'm thankful I can tell you of a God that guides us through these things. Isn't that awesome? The other side is Sodom and Gomorrah. Boy, what a great time they were having. Everybody could do their things. Sex no longer had a na name. Do your thing. They were having a great time. We can have our city have a great time, too. We can open up the doors and let all of them come in and do their thing and have a great time. But do we want the consequences of Sodom and Gomorrah for our city? Thank you, sir. Thank you. That's what I had to consider when I was in the legislature. Thank you. And that's where you Sorry. are, too. Thank you. Thank you. Sir, thank you. Your your time is... Sir, your, your time is up to be... Sir. Okay, some, sir, your, your time is up. There's There's only three minutes per person, so I'm sorry. But I appreciate it. Thank you. I didn't want to be too loud, but thank you. Thanks for telling me. I meant nothing by that either. Good evening. Um, my name is Matt Byrne, and I am a resident of the North Village community in Vacaville. Um, I just wanted to ask a couple questions and, and hopefully maybe the, the council members can, can answer this. So um, there's a potential battery storage project that's uh, being considered in the North Village area on Leisure Town Road. 
Um, Mr. Stockton, who I've talked to a couple times, had reached out and said that uh, Maynard Energy would be available at this National Night Out Community Celebration coming up. Um, so my, my on August 1st. So I had a couple questions. Um, it was said that they would be at this celebration, which is, I guess, the address is at Adams Park. But then um, the notice goes on to say that it would, they would be at Pioneer Court, North Village. So um, that's one part of the question is, are they going to be at this actual event or are they going to be in North Village to have some type of community outreach? Um, second, we have about, at the current moment, about 1,100 people that are interested in understanding this project a little bit more and also uh, a good amount of people that are already opposed to it. Um, so what I wanted to ask the council is that if we do have some type of community outreach, can we have it here or somewhere where everybody can be heard on the issue or at least ask questions? Um, I think that having it at a community celebration, while it does seem to serve two purposes, getting a large crowd, um, I think runs the risk of having two conflicting things happen at the same time. Um, yeah, you could ask some questions there, but is the entire community that knows about it or knows about this event going to show up for this particular issue? Or are they coming to the event for another reason? Um, I don't think we need to commingle those things together, and I think there should be a separate meeting held on that. So um, first, I just wanted to get clarity on if they're going to actually be at the event or they're going to be in our community and at the, um, just want to make sure I get this correct, at the um, Pioneer Court Road in North Village. Um, so I just wanted to get clarity on that part. And then two, could we have a, you know, community outreach meeting regarding this project versus them doing it at a, an event. So I don't know if they're doing it informally or formally, but I just want to- Thank you for the question. Mr. Mr. City Manager, can you comment on that? So thank you, I'd be happy to. So as you know, we typically don't, aren't able to respond to comments from business on the floor, but because of this particular community uh, issue, um, it's been my suggestion to the team from uh, the battery storage project that it would be a much better uh, service to the community if we not focus at the National Night Out event and that we actually do conduct a specialized community event exclusively for discussion on that particular project. I can assure you and the rest of the members of the community throughout uh, the city that uh, we are currently actively working with them very closely on, on, on many details that still need to be answered for the project. And so coming out on National Night Out is just really not um, uh, appropriate at this time. But what we are hoping to do is we'll have some information for the community at that time that will tell you where to go on our website to find all the details about the project, the process. I assure you nothing has been approved at this point. Um, it's all information and data gathering at this time. Uh, we will be able to share that with you. We're hoping to come out to the community probably mid-September, at which we will make sure that we put enough advance notice out there so everyone can come out and hear just exactly um, what is going on with that particular project. At the same time, we will tell you about the process involved with that and um, know that there will be at least um, two to four, maybe even more opportunities for public comment during uh, the entire process for that project. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Evie Guerra, a resident of Vacaville. Thank you for allowing my statement to be voiced in these chambers today. I'm here in support of honoring and doing what is right for the community that we live in. In this instance, I refer to the flags that are flown and the proclamations made by our mayor and city council. 
The flags that we fly outside this chamber and the proclamations this city issues should serve to unite, not divide. There is a place for ideologies to be proclaimed and supported, but it's not here on these flagpoles or in proclamations that are made by our mayor or city council. Do what's right in the eyes of God. Do what's right in the eyes of God and those who elected you. I ask you to stand with those of us who are adamantly against raising the flag of any group representing controversial issues that divide rather than unite this community. And when you need to stand, therefore, stand. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening. My name is Pastor Morris Curry. Um, when I get an audience like this, my old Baptist preacher, and he wants to take an offering. <laughs> uh, you have, uh, I've since, uh, since given you these, uh, these, this letter, and I decided tonight that I would just read it uh, as well uh, and uh, enter it. And if so, I could be able to enter it into um, uh, into your, your record, that's possible. Um, uh, I'm a little ill, so bear with me. I might have my funeral here tonight. Dear Honorable Mayor and Mayor Corley and City Council, several years ago, a group of men were discovered meeting regularly at the Oakland California Library. This group came to be known as the National Alliance of Man-Boy Love Association, NAMBLA. Their activity at the time was discovered, caused them to go underground. And since uh, they were out of the public eye, they were, it was due to the moral climate at the time of, the sexual, of their sexual orientation. Even though they kept a low profile, they were, um, Certain sources, there were certain sources that kept diligent surveillance of this group and, and found their way into infiltrating the group, much like the FBI did the, uh, in the civil rights movement. This group now feels certain that the opposition to, to their tenants is a violation of their constitutional rights and freedom of expression. They plan to move forward by be, be, uh, and become on par with the other sanctioned sexual orientations due to the acceptance of school uh, districts and government recognition, such as was done here in the uh, VUSD. Uh, and there is a, a, a note here, I won't take time to read that. They will claim that the time is right as other sexual orientations are being recognized 
as legitimate expressions of a person's being and to oppose them is discrimination. They are well-funded and will attempt to bankrupt, bankrupt opposition groups and agencies in court in lawsuits. Because of, the, uh, because of such resolutions as raising the flag, uh, they have proved have proof that they are now an acceptable form of, uh, of a lifestyle. Don't think that this is something uh, to be ignored. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And can I give this to your clerk? Good evening. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, Council. My name is Maurice Arnold, and I'm a resident of Vacaville and a proud Air Force veteran, number one military in the earth, no dissent. And because of that flag, I'm here today. I'm here because of that flag. I went to Iraq several times under that banner. And see, that flag is a unifying element within this nation. That flag and that flag alone is inclusivity. No other flag, any other flag that, brought, that brings division is contrary to that. So I would submit to you that the other flag in question is a flag of tyranny. There's economic warfare that takes place with that flag. If you disagree with the ideas, just like the baker Jack Phillips brought his business down because he disagreed about making a cake for a same-sex marriage. The Supreme Court overturned it, and then the ruling in California with Kathy Miller recently, the same thing, but it was overturned. Economic warfare, the shutting down of free speech. So my great-grandfather was in World War I. My dad, uncle, and my dad and my three uncles were in the Vietnam War era. And it would be really ironic, me being from the number one city outside of Vacaville, ATL, <laughs> if when my, my great-grandfather went to World War I, he had to come back to Jim Crow South. There's a new era Jim Crow now. It's the Jim Crow of ideas. If you disagree with my ideology, I will shut you down. So I would say for being a son of veterans and a veteran, for someone to attempt to shut me down, because look, I love everyone. I will treat any person with dignity, honor, and respect. But that flag seeks to bring a private sexual in issue into the public forum. And so I say that we leave it there. We honor you, you do what you wanna do. We don't have sex cams in your bedroom. And so with that being said, that's where we wanna end it, especially with AB 957. I despise that flag because it's racist. It tried to take the pain of black people and use it as a platform to promote perversion. That's why I'm against it. Thank you. Good evening. 
Hi, my name is Christy Ambrose. I am a military spouse, and I get the lovely honor of moving to different cities and learning about y'all's culture. I got to say, I love Vacaville. It's very beautiful. So unfortunately, my husband, he's in the Army, although I do love and have pride in him serving. He is always gone, and I am a single parent. <laughs> to four kids. That's why I said the unfortunately. So whenever I have to deal with my children, um, my, my son went through something with another little boy. It was a sexual act that my child was talked into, and unfortunately, he learned it at school. He went and the boys around him were touching each other and talking about this stuff, and I unfortunately didn't get the pleasure of teaching my child about sex. So I know that to you and to them, it is just a flag, and it represents like their sexuality. But we don't have a heterosexual flag to fly, fly in front of our kids. We only have our religion and what we're, what we're raised on, on how we respect our bodies. And unfortunately, somebody got to my child before I could get to my child in school. And when you send your child to school, you think, safe place. You know, but unfortunately, it was not a safe place for my child. And so when I took him to therapy, everything came out. And unfortunately, it might have been a little bit of abuse for him. And thankfully, his therapist is a good one. So she's helping him with that. Now, I am not against people who are gay living their lives. Like, if you want to go and live your life that way, that is your personal private business, what you do in your house. But I'm not going and flaunting my sexuality in front of other people's kids. I'm not going and making out in front with my husband or any of that stuff in front of other people's kids. And this is why I am here. I wanted to speak for my son because he went through something, something I might have gone through as a child as that was abuse. It was an abuse for him. And unfortunately, it was another child that did it. So that other child might have gone through something. And, you know, his parents, they handled it with the way they needed to handle it. So like I said, I know this might be just a flag. But unfortunately, it is influencing the kids in a very negative way. <laughs> and the amount of children that my son told me were doing this literally disturbed me to a high level. And I said to myself, Christy, how can I fix the situation? I can't, but all of you can. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, City Council, thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to speak to all of you. Uh, I'm a resident of uh, Vacaville, 16 years. I'm a U.S. Army retired major. I served in the military for 26 years. I'm currently running for Congress in the 8th District. And this is what I want to say is that this is a constitutional issue. And I'll take it to the 14th Amendment. And in the 14th Amendment, it states in Section 1, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject, subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. Equal protection of the law. When I served in the military, and just like the other veterans stated, that flag represented the United States. 
and everything and all the ideas of the United States in this constitution that I just read from is just a parchment. It means nothing if the people do not stand up and defend it and defend the rights of the people so that we all have life, liberty, and justice for everybody equally. And that flag and that flag and the city of Vacaville and its, and its symbology represents all people, all Vacavillians, regardless of race, creed, color, religion, beliefs, whatever it is. And we voted you into office expecting you to look out for our rights and to make sure that we are represented equally. We should not have anything else in front of us. And like the Bible says, we will not worship any idea, ideologies or deities other than God. This country was founded by, was, was founded without a religion, but it was founded by Christians with a morality and a center so that we can guide our country so that everybody is found to be equal and is treated equally and cared for equally. And we must do everything that we can in order to do that. I ask you when this count, when this issue comes up, please vote in the right direction. You know what the right thing is to do. And remember, the United States is an idea, but it's a fragile idea that will crumble unless if we have good people to defend it. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Maverick Dante Smith. On April the 4th, 1990, Margie and Michael Lyons sent their child off to the Air Force. On that day, the father left his son two things, always tell the truth and stay away from wild women. That son went on to have a victorious, luxurious career in the Air Force. That son had made up in his mind that he didn't mind if bullets pierced his skin because he knew that he was going to be fighting for freedom. He was going to be fighting for people who couldn't fight for themselves and that he was going to return home honorably. And yes, I did return home honorably. My thing is this though, Martin Luther King had a dream, but I have a prayer. I have a prayer that this council today and every person sitting in this chamber will not just sit down and do nothing. But I have a prayer that our young men will grow up to be young men and our young women will grow up to be young women. I have a prayer that I did not allow bullets to pierce my skin so somebody can call their child them, they, he or her, but him and his. Our young women should not be referred to as female dogs. They should not be referred to as him and them. The values of our country have fallen. The values of families have fallen. The foundation of the church is being shaken because we have so-called people in church who call themselves Christians, but really having another agenda. My agenda here today is to say that I have a prayer that this country will get back to the basics. 
Yes, we have a dirty blight on us of slavery, of racism, of gun violence, of drugs. But I do believe with the people in this chamber and with the church and with the, the council that stands here before me, we can make a difference. Nobody has said that we understand this council because we want for you to think like us, but you're human. You have to think with your own. Well, I do say this, at night, before you go to bed, pray that God gives you the correct decisions to make on your daily life. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening, Mayor Carley, Vice Mayor Wiley, members of the council. My name is Marion Shimoleski. I've lived in Vacaville since 1978. My husband and I have raised our three daughters here. They've gone through the school system. I'm a retired educator. The last 16 years of my work are at Vacaville High School, and I love this town. And I would like to thank you, first off, for all of the time and the energy that each and every one of you takes to try and do your very best to make this town the town that it is and the best town that it could be. And also for your patience as you sit calmly and listen to each of us with our many varied um, opinions as we express them before you. So many thanks for all of that. I would also like to express my pride. I'm very proud that I live in a country where we have the freedom of speech and we can all come here and, and say what's important to us. I'm also very proud that I live in a country that um, was created not based on any religion. This is not a Muslim country. This is not a Buddhist country. This is not a Jewish country, nor is it a Christian country. This is a country which says in its laws that we will have a separation of church and state. And in that regard, I'm very proud that everyone in this country can practice whatever religion feels right to them. I think that is one of our greatest gifts. That said, in the year 2023, there are still some minority groups in this country which are not given all the same rights and respect that others are. One in particular that has been mentioned several times tonight is the LGBTQ community. It is a community that still in the year 2023 is maligned, is ostracized, is tormented, is tortured, is murdered because of the way the people in that community were created, born, and live. And because of that, I, at the risk of repeating myself, would like to express once again the gratitude and pride with which I saw the rainbow flag on our flagpole stating to the world that even though this is a group that um, may differ from a lot of other people's beliefs, we accept you. And I felt that that's what that was saying, that we accept you. And for that, I thank you all very, very much. And good night. Thank you. Evening, Carly, uh, council members. 
My name's uh, A.C. Hunter, 40-year resident of Ackville. In regards to the uh, LGBTQ alphabet thing, uh, is anybody in here perfect? Perfect people? No, good. Well, I'm not either. I have my sins. Everybody has their sins. I don't. I don't crow about it. I don't, you know, try to lift it up. I'm not prideful about it. Take it to the Lord. And try and get free of it. I don't celebrate my sin. I really don't want to be celebrating somebody else's. It's, it's just not American, really, and it's not Christian. And a second issue, when it comes to this carbon footprint baloney, uh, carbon dioxide is a trace gas. It's 400 parts per million, and there's a good reason for that. All that green stuff that, that's planted around here, it takes care of that. It loves it. It flourishes the more you got. It takes care of it. It just gobbles it up. So wasting a bunch of money on alternative sources of energy is, is just foolishness. It's a waste of our, of our money. Anyway, that's, uh, that's about what I got. Thank you. Thank you. Vice Mayor, uh, Council Members and Staff, uh, Leo Escarciga, Leisure Town. Uh, I'd like to speak uh, in favor of the parking lot expansion, the Play for All Park. I think it's a wonderful idea. Um, that park is a wonderful asset to the community and uh, adding parking. More parking is certainly going to enhance that. Uh, I would make a suggestion uh, with this additional parking that you consider installing EV stations for people that have uh, EV vehicles. Um, they can you know, bring their families and while they're having a good time and getting recreation, they can charge their vehicles. Um, I think that would even more enhance the, the park and um, get many more people um, visiting the park and they could have a good time and they're charging their vehicles while they're visiting the park with their families. Um, another location that I would like to suggest, uh, EV installation, uh, and I, I've noticed in the city um, that primarily all the EV charging stations are in retail areas. So I would uh, ask the council to consider thinking outside the box on that and, you know, the cash box, right? I, I understand that principle. Um, and while they're shopping at the stores, they're charging their vehicles. But uh, I would ask you to consider installing EV charging stations at the uh, cultural center. You have that huge parking lot. You've got the theater venue. You've got the library there. And you've got the, um, what is it, the community building there. And people, you know, can visit the library with their families. They can bring their car there, charge it, and, you know, read a book, read the newspaper, or they're uh, visiting the the theater for an event, they can have their vehicles charged while you know they're enjoying themselves at you know a cultural event. Same thing for the community building. You know, if you're attending a meeting, you bring your electrical vehicle. You know, there's a place to charge. So, that's my thought. I appreciate the time, and have a good night. Thank you.
Mayor Good Carly. Evening. Good evening. I appreciate the ability to be able to share with you from my heart in the spirit. I was four years old and a sexual, emotional, mental abuse began happening in my life. All through my early years, I was abused. It's not love. What they call love is not love. Where was the respect for a child instead of someone taking advantage for their own selfish purposes, steal my innocence? Devastated me. It's been very difficult. It's been a hard road back, but I thank God if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. I've done a lot of wandering in my life. I know that I'm a sinner saved by grace. I know I'm loved now. I know who loves me and I know who doesn't love me. God has never abused me. He may have allowed that in my life for a purpose and I trust him through it. I know he's good. He doesn't make a mistake. I forgive those who are abusive to me, who use me, who took advantage when they shouldn't have. What's happening to young people, to children, is gonna devastate their lives. It fractures the soul. It robs them of something very precious, and that's trust. I had to learn to trust again. I had to learn who to trust. I thank the Lord so much for his kindness, his patience, his forgiveness. He will forgive anyone and everyone who comes to him. But you must come to him. We're all sinners. We need a savior. He's the only savior. He's the only way back to true sanity. And this world's insane now. What's going on is insanity. Please think deeply of your decision. I pray God gives you wisdom and understanding and peace about what you, the decision you make. God be glorified. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Joel Barrio. I lived in uh, Vacaville since 2005. Last time I spoke here, I was fairly impassioned, and I won't be so much this time. However, perhaps with what you've seen so far tonight, you realize that some of the decisions that you think are the easy ones when they're first presented to you wind up causing you great difficulties down the road. Someone earlier mentioned that your primary job here is to run this city. There's an awful lot to running a city. Those of us who have worked with our hands look, look around and we realize that it's, there's a whole lot going on with potholes and sewers. There really is. One of the things that I have never seen on a city council agenda, but that should be, is the fact that we all know now that Genentech is the largest employer in the, in the city and they're leaving. I am not aware of anything that the city council has been doing or has plans to do to somehow replace those 800 jobs. And those are big paying jobs. They're gone. Isn't that the kind of thing that you ladies and gentlemen should be concentrating on? Isn't that what you wanna spend your time with? There's a lot to run in a city. And so what happens? Someone comes to you with, okay, the whole state and the county and everybody else is running up this flag. 
And so you go do it too, because following the leader was the easy thing to do. Maybe it's not so easy, because here you have a population that was very offended by the action you took. And it takes away from your primary job. What do we do about running this city more efficiently and to hopefully do something about those 800 jobs that are out the door? Isn't that what you guys should be doing instead of getting your nose into national politics? Thank you. Hello, my name is Armando, and this is most definitely my first time here. I have no idea what this place is. I just came here for the first time. I've been a vacavillian for 31 years because at the age of nine, I came over from Panama, and I became a U.S. citizen about five years after that. But yeah, anyways, I'm not going to bring politics into play, but I will say that Mr. Donald Trump said it greatly when he said, make America great again. See, people have this great dislike for him, but he is right. Because to make America great again, you need to go back to the beginning. This nation was founded on Christian principles a nation that is without a God is a nation gone under. Okay, now that I established that and got that out of the way, I'm about to say something completely different, something that is weighing on my mind because I take care of an 82-year-old dad who is spending his retirement money just to make ends meet, to subsidize for the place that we have. See, I live with my dad, and I only work at a part-time job. I am lucky if I make 600 bucks an hour. I mean, 600. <laughs> hey, that would be awesome. But I mean, I'll be lucky if I make $600 a month. It's hard to get by with $600 a month when the apartments are 1895 the one that my dad and I live. See, he's only making $1,000 of retirement, and his retirement from Panama is, well, no longer there. So my dad has to seek out my sister's help. And I'm asking y'all, what can you do about the housing situation? We are greatly struggling with the housing situation. Majority of the houses being built, or apartments, whatever, the strata apartments and the reservoir apartments are very, very expensive to get into. And it seems that they're being catered to those that are in Silicon Valley or those that come from San Francisco to make their place here in Vacaville because to them it's cheaper. Now, Council, what can you do to help us? Help us Vacavillians because we are struggling. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor Carly, council members, my name is John Moore. 
I've been here for a couple of years, but it's I have something a little different than everybody else. As of yesterday, I'm a homeowner in Vacaville. So that's different. I haven't been here all of those years. I have just a little bit different take on what everybody has said, although I agree with many, disagree with some. As a father of daughters and a son, something that growing up in Fort Lauderdale, I saw from a very young age, the whole, the, the whatever you want to call it, the alternative sexual lifestyle began. When I was very young, they were after us. I was a young boy in my boat. You know, they would always be waving and stuff. And so I think there's a disparity and a misunderstanding about, A, we love these people, and I do, but the idea that to give them the platform is somehow equity and whatever the words are, inclusive. The problem is, the way that I see it is, they are preying on the young people. I know because I saw it. And here's what happens. My daughters, when they were, I don't really remember, they were either 12 and 14 or 11 and 13, whatever it was. But we were on vacation down in South Florida. And I realized when they came out of the room dressed very provocatively, and I said, you cannot come out that way. You have to go back and put on something more modest. Oh, daddy, daddy, don't oh, daddy me. The point I'm making is they had no clue at young teenage years, they had no clue what they were doing, what they, what message they were sending. They had no idea. So you're going to tell me that a four-year-old or a preschooler has got a right to decide something? Okay, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where this whole thing has gone off the rails because they have tried now to indoctrinate it, as somebody said, and I saw it too. We're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. Look, I love these people a lot. I've had a lot of friends that were alternative lifestyles over the years. The problem is, is that they want to take our children now, just as several have said, and allow them to make a decision. I promise you, my 13-year-old daughter had no clue. She was not responsible to make a decision. The parents need to be the ones that make the decisions until they're an adult. They can't vote. They can't do. They can't go to war. They can't do the things that adults do. They shouldn't be allowed to make these decisions. And my fear is that this whole flag thing is an issue that divides everybody, and it encourages this preying on the young people. But I love Vacaville, and I thank you all for hearing me and for all that you do. I know it's difficult. May God bless you and your decisions. Thank you. I like to, I guess I'm going to make something public. Um, my younger brother is gay, and uh, he and his partner and I shared a home for years, and then after his partner was murdered with AZT, you can look that up. Uh, my brother lived with me off and on for years. This idea of community, well, suddenly it disappeared when he was no longer young and attractive and, and that type of thing. So my brother died at the age of 62 with his brother and a girl he knew from high school. There was no community. Because you're talking about love, and one of the definitions of love is putting someone else's needs before your own. Should have known that, and I wouldn't be divorced. I knew it earlier. <laughs> Young Chloe Cole stated, adults need to take a stand. 
Chloe Cole was diagnosed with autism and ADHD at age seven, which she said are common comorbidities with gender dysphoria. The link between autism and gender dysphoria has been scientifically studied and reported. They are particularly vulnerable to the pull of transgenderism. Chloe Cole, Layla Jane, Prisha um, Mosley are just a few of the thousands, I'm just literally thousands of children that are detransitioning. Chloe had her breasts cut off at age 15. Layla Jane had hers cut off at age 13. And I don't honestly remember what Prisha Mosley, how old she was. Now they're, they're uh, what do you call it, censored on, on YouTube and that because they're not saying the right thing. And they all suffer terrible, terrible maiming injuries from this crap. A child can go from obscurity to hero status by claiming to be transgender. Very tempting for those that feel odd or out of place. Now, I was gonna talk a little bit about the uh, Shirtlift v. Boston, the $2.1 billion settlement, which honestly, I'll do respect, ma'am, I think your analysis is confused, but there's something more personal I'm gonna talk about. I realize there's a temptation and the promise of high off of, if you only do this, because we know that most city councils end up being a stepping stone to a state job and then a federal position, et cetera. Some people don't do that, but many do, and I could name names. At least that's how it works here in Solano County. Doing what, right, what is right has risk. We know this before we take the oath. There is risk in doing, risk in doing what is right, what is contrary to one's own benefit. In other words, seeking other offices, et cetera, or pleasing a particular group that might have enough money to fund you. Do you, Mr. Mayor, do the city council believe that promoting and subjecting children to the pride flag, the, the current thing, and promoting the psychology that has led to their mutilation and depriving them of a future that they could not imagine? They were just kids. Thank you, thank you. Oh, Matt? Dang, I missed the punchline. Next time. For allowing me to speak today. My name is Doug Riddick. I grew up here in Vacaville. Went to school here, raised my family here, and now raising my grandkids here. Love the city. I think uh, what you've heard tonight and from the number of people that are in this audience tonight is that even simple decisions that we make on the council uh, will bear uh, ill will if it's done without thinking about the unity of everything that's going on. You're trying to be inclusive and fly uh, one group's flag at Andrew Park. And I understand your thoughts behind that. You're trying to be inclusive. You're trying to include them into it. But what you did is you alienated others because of it. I think if we stay united together uh, by not picking specific groups to identify. I mean, we had someone up here tonight who talked about that they requested to fly a Christian flag and that's been put off. And whether that was intentional or whether it wasn't, it's divisive. It's showing the one group that you're, it's acceptable, you're showing the other group that it's not. And I would, I would think that through proclamations, through cities, and also through your policies, uh, and we're talking about the flag policy here, 
is that if we stay united together under this flag and not be inclusive, we're not required to do that. So why would we do that and alienate parts of our community? So anyway, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. I know what you're doing is difficult. Um, I served in law enforcement in a nearby city here for over 30 years. And I know that what you're doing, you're trying to do for the betterment of the whole community. But I think we have to uh, not fall victim to specific groups, any specific group. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else wishing to speak? Yes, please come forward. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, Council. My name is Mitchell Duran. I've been a resident and of Vacaville since 1986, subsequently retiring from the United States Air Force from David Grant Medical Center, Travis Air Force Base. To protect and serve, being in the military, I've lived in many jurisdictions, and I see that slogan printed on many first responder vehicles. I hope that's just not lip service. That is the protection and service of all, not any special interest group of any kind. If we are going to be united, there is only one banner that unites us, right there. Any other banner is a special interest and a potentially evasive. I just want to express my concern for our children and grandchildren, since I'm a grandfather, and their well-being and being able to be equally protected and served. We hear words of inclusion and equity. Equity is not equality. We're talking about equity of outcome. This nation was not founded on equity of outcome. It was founded on the principle of equal opportunity. And with that comes responsibility. And it's not handed to us. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness means taking the responsibility to provide for yourselves, your family, and your community. It's a responsibility, not an entitlement. Thank you. Anyone else who has not already shared before I close the public comment? Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything. Um, hello, my name is Victor Zavala. I've been here since 1975 in Vacaville. Um, the only thing that separated uh, the town, and by the way, it's an honor to be here, and I didn't want to say anything, but uh, the, my heart and the spirit within me compelled me to, 
because I think it's important to understand that a person that has lived here as long as I have, and the only thing, and by the way, yes, thank you for allowing me to speak, each uh, council member and mayor, um, but growing up here in this town, the only thing that separated us was the West versus the East. Baseball was a big thing. Sports was huge. I love this town and for what it represents. I love this town today for what it re represents. And as far as I'm concerned, the innocence of children is what's at stake. Yeah. And I just love to keep the idea of keeping children innocent as long as you possibly can. Keeping them home and, and however we can support them as a community is what we need to do. And I, I, I know there's a, a, a thing about a, a banner uh, that wants to be prevailing above even that flag that I, I personally have when I was in grade school, first grade Fairmont Falcon. Um, from first grade all the way up to back of high, I adore that flag. And far as I'm concerned, that is the unity of this country. And um, my mom is an American Indian. I'll just throw this in a little pitch. Uh, and, and the only thing that got a person out of the reservation was to go into, into the military for crying out loud. So that's how they got off the reservation. And being a foreigner in its own land, I love this country. And, and I, for all of me, I have to say, please take consideration of the people you represent. Um, you don't know me and I don't know you, but I've been here for a long time. I don't intend to leave. And I pray that you guys make wise decisions for the children that are growing up in our community because that's who we need to protect more than anyone. So however that lands to you, uh, I pray that you guys uh, receive this uh, from a good old Vacaville boy <laughs> who loves baseball. God bless you guys. You guys have a, I hope you raise your children well and, uh, and treat, let them play baseball, by the way. <laughs>
Does this flagpole exist in a park? I haven't seen it. Can you answer me that question? If it does, and it's creating this problem, why dismantle it? Then it resolves all the problems of the issues that the community is having. Because it seems like the flagpole is the issue of being able uh, to flag whatever flag you want to flag. That seems to me creating a problem. So to eliminate the problem, remove the flagpole or anything that they can, they, anybody, can display a flag. But my question is, the flagpole exists, why not just remove it? Solve the issue. But thank you very much. Thank you. Hi, hello. I just wanted to speak in regards to the flag. <laughs> um, I wasn't going to speak tonight. And I was just listening to everyone speaking about, you know, their, their what they believe in their mindset. So um, I moved to Vacaville about five years ago during COVID. Um, my grandfather is a World War II vet. And my grandfather's before that. So I am biracial, I'm mixed, I'm Hispanic, and I'm Caucasian. My grandparents uh, migrated here from Portugal. This country was built on liberties and freedoms and diversity. Our flag is diversity. The flag that is being petitioned to fly above our city is not diversity. That is the sexual orientation of those who want to be recognized. And I understand that we all want to be recognized, but I'm sorry as a mother who is raising her daughter in this city by myself, and she has to go to public school, that is bothersome because that opens a door for so many avenues. Everybody has their morals, everybody has their own right. But as a mother, I don't feel comfortable sending my daughter to public school with other kids influencing my child when I'm trying to raise her on a morality of, of faith. At night when you go to bed, you're gonna have to answer for this. My daughter's 13 years old and I work in a hospital and I see kids coming all the time and they're so confused. I'm not confused, I'm a mother who knows what's right from wrong. You don't have to have a college degree for that. It's called morals. I pray for you guys and I pray you make the right decision. I know that you guys have to do what's right for the city and for everyone involved, but that is opening a door that your grandkids are gonna have to live under and you're gonna have to answer to that. I thank you for this time and your consideration. Thank you. Seeing no one else, I'm gonna go ahead and close public comment. What we're gonna do real quick is take about five minutes because I don't know if all of you plan on staying. I know that we also have a, an overflow room, so we're gonna take a five minute recess. All right, we're gonna go ahead and get started and continue this meeting. We're now going to have, I believe we have one public hearing, Mr. City Manager. Yes, thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the City Council. Your one and only public hearing item tonight is a resolution uh, proposing an underground utility district under PG&E's Rule 20A. Uh, Brian McLean, your Public Works Director, has a brief presentation for the Council. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, and City Council. 
As the city manager said, um, tonight we are holding a public, mirroring, uh, public hearing excuse me, uh, for the formation of underground utility district number 20, uh, Leisure Town Road. Uh, there are approximately 147,000 uh, miles of overhead electrical line in California. With that in mind, back in 1967, the California uh, Public Utilities Commission, the CPUC, developed the Tariff 20 rule uh, which is a program to assist municipalities in undergrounding those uh, overhead electrical lines. There are many benefits, uh, improving the community aesthetics, reducing or eliminating congestion of those poles, and in particular, reducing the likelihood of a, a power edge caused by a vehicular accident with one of those above ground poles. Uh, from that uh, rule or tariff 20 uh, program, there's a sub-program called Rule 20A. This is the program that uh, the city of Vacaville participates in. Uh, a Rule 20A program um, project uh, requires several different uh, criteria to be met. Uh, first, eliminating any unusual heavy congestion of those overhead electrical lines, uh, street or road or right-of-way, uh, which is uh, extensively used by the general public, pedestrians or vehicles, and the street or road or right-of-way is considered an arterial street or major collector. The city again participates in the Rule 28 program, um, and we generate uh, those work credits annually um, from the CPUC. Uh, the current Rule 28 balance is approximately $4 million. Since uh, October of last year, staff have been working with representatives of Pacific Gas and Electric to identify a project where we could use those Rule 28 dollars. Uh, we identified the Jepson Parkway extension, which would be the northern end of Leisure Town Road. Um, there's a section uh, of, of northern uh, uh, extension of the Leisure Town Road between the Solano Irrigation District uh, Canal and just south of Poplar Road. And I'll show you a map in just a moment. It's adjacent to the uh, Casa Grande Mobile Home Park. There are 10 overhead power poles. Um, they will all need to be undergrounded for the future expansion of the Jepson Parkway project. This would allow us to be able to advance this project and utilize these Rule 28 dollars. Uh, we are estimating the project of about um, three to four million dollars, so it, it falls right within our Rule 28 credit dollar amount, our balance, and this project uh, per PG&E qualifies for this Rule 28 project. Here is the project site, and this is the zoomed-in version. And as you can see, the highlighted uh, red polygon there with the Casa Grande Mobile Home Park, uh, which is on the east side of Leisure Town Road. Shots of the overhead electrical lines. They're pretty congested. There's uh, there are several of them, again, 10 of these uh, poles that are in a, a very short span of area. Again, we're here tonight um, in this uh, public hearing to form or for have council consider for the formation of this underground utility district number 20, Leisure Town Road. Uh, we're conducting the public hearing right this moment. And the property owners were notified by the Public Works Department in writing on June 27th. And then on July 5th and July 10th, I met with two of the three property owners on site and discussed the, prop, uh, the project um, uh, undergrounding those power poles. And both of those property owners were ecstatic about uh, being able to remove those poles from uh, their overhead condition. 
uh, this project uh, and this item. Um, it doesn't impact uh, the CEQA rule um, because there's no environmental impact from your action tonight. There is no fiscal impact as the project it would be funded by those rule $28 and the strategic goal is goal number three, protect backfills quality of life. So the recommendation is by simple motion adopt the subject resolution and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Brian, for the presentation. Seeing any questions at this point from the council? Vice Mayor Wild. Thank you very much for the information and I think it's a great project. I just have a question. The, the, the credits for about $4 million, so that's kind of, we've built them up when they're gone, they're gone, or will we start building crap credits again? So that's a good question. Uh, they have been building up over the last several years. Again, this program goes back to the early or late 60s, 67, I believe it was. Um, we have used these credits and these uh, for various projects along the way. Um, phase one of Jepson Parkway, actually we used some of these credits for a portion of that first phase of Jepson Parkway to underground some of the power lines. Now, the reason that we're bringing this forward tonight is we have a project we've been able to define. We have a, a project estimate that falls within the balance of our, our Rule 20A uh, particular uh, work credits. And the uh, CPUC is, has rolled out new rules related to Rule 20A and the use of, of those work credits. They're working on rolling out those rules uh, right now, which will make it more stringent upon us in being able to utilize those credits. So our intention tonight is to be able to have council consider this project. If authorized, I would be able to execute the documents, get this project in line under the current rule set so that the city can uh, appreciate and have those rule work credits utilized on this project in the next several years as, as we move up the chain in, in those uh, work uh, projects that pg &E has. So we're trying to take advantage of the timing of, of this uh, situation right now um, before those uh, changes with the pg &E rules uh, transpire. So it does sound like perfect timing since Jepson Parkway is gonna be expanded and everything else. So then my question is, then will we continue to accrue new credits after we expend these? We will. Okay, thanks. Councilmember Chapman. Thank you. Thank you for your report. Question, broadband. Um, would they be coming in, I mean, is that an area that is being considered uh, to infuse or bring in the broadband that we're working on right now? What is it, uh, phase three or whatever? If so, uh, with the trenching and everything going on, is it possible to get uh, the two, um, to work together on that. I would think out there in the mobile park area that they would probably need uh, a boost. That's a great question. Uh, so we are, uh, staff is working on uh, the broadband master plan. Um, actually, yesterday we had a, a terrific meeting with Caltrans on that particular top topic. Uh, what we're doing right now is Public Works is working to put the specs and the standards together um, for the that broadband expansion, where those uh, those lines, those conduit lines are going to go in. We've actually been having conversations internally about 
uh, moving forward when we get to the Jepson Parkway phase two project and when we have that road opened up that we start laying in those pipes, those conduits and the pull boxes to allow us to be able to start extending that fiber uh, projection down uh, north you know, along Leisure Town Road. So as we open up the, the ground you know, in the future, this is what we're gonna be doing is, is installing the conduit so we can extend that broadband so it would be it would be wise if the two oh okay i was just going to embellish that a little bit no i didn't mean that <laughs> I know. just to take it one step further we're uh, intending to draw a, a typical design detail so that anytime we open up the street whether it's repair new streets or anything we put a condo in it whether we know that the the fiber is the broadband's going in there whatever year we're prepared to have a spot for it whenever it happens Councilmember Silva. I need that. There's a request for a confidential question. Maybe you just need to go. Yeah. Well, I have a question for you then. And that, that is, is what's the timing of this? So let's say it is funded. What is the timing of the underground? So there's there's uh, you know the the fly in the ointment. Uh, PG&E has uh, several projects you know, in the queue for Rule 20A, um, and that's you know not particular you know to the city of Vacaville. They have told us over the last for the last few months in our conversations, uh, they actually pulled up a, a spreadsheet of several several many many pages in in number six font size of all the Rule 20A projects across the state of California. They gave us an estimate of approximately six years. But by taking this action tonight and authorizing, we at least move the ball forward and we get the project in the queue. Thank you. With that, I'm going to open it up to public comment. And I will bring it back to the council and uh, any other comments, or do I have a motion? Motion. Second. We have a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion passes. Thank you very much for the presentation. Mr. City Manager, I believe we have uh, a business item. Yes, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, this last item before you tonight is the final piece in the uh, puzzles that we have been sharing with you uh, regarding the subject of housing. Um, so. For the past uh, several months, six months now, we have been sharing a variety of different topics on the important subject of housing. Tonight, we're bringing to you the final piece, uh, considered objective design standards. So once again, uh, Ms. Morris, your community development director. Good evening, Mayor Carley and members of council. I'm gonna go through a presentation that will include a little bit of background. I'll have seven slides of examples. I promise to go through them relatively quickly. We can always come back as needed. Talk about our code and as it relates to objective design standards in terms of multifamily, single family, and parking. Talk a little bit about what our housing element has in store for us and then I'll, I'll conclude. So the background on this, which you've considered at length at different meetings, is that there are various state laws that require that the city utilize objective design standards when reviewing residential development. And the state has a very legal sounding definition of what objective design standards are. And essentially, it's a standard that involves no personal or subjective judgment by a public official, uniformly verifiable, 
um, et cetera. I'm gonna kind of dissect that and break it into more um, normal people language as we get through this presentation. The overarching theme is for developers, for the community, projects come in and they have a predictable input, here's the standards we're gonna meet, and the project that comes out of it matches you know, community expectations. The goal is a consistent review outcome. So as the city manager mentioned at previous sessions, we've talked about the general plan, which articulates where density will go, what type of housing, which sites are planned for housing. We have a land use development code that many on this council approved the update to back in 2022. We also have specific plans. Um, examples of that would be the downtown specific plan and the green tree specific plan that actually provide development standards. So the land use and development code, specific plans, that's where you find these. And I guess in summary on, on just kind of what these things are, um, objective design standards relate to the physical form of new residential development. So they don't address some of the other things that have come up in the review of projects like uh, school impacts or um, traffic. They really are looking at how the housing is built on the site. So these are the seven slides I promised. So this first slide is comparing objective standards to subjective standards. Um, objective standards for development of housing are black and white. Um, it's you shall have a porch or you shall have a garage with windows in it. You shall have a light, a window in your door or whatever those very specific things are uh, versus things that say you should have a porch that faces the street. So that's one example. Um, another way of thinking about it is, it, you know, true or false, this project does have a porch or it doesn't. Um, there's ways of using counts and measurements, and I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, you can require ratios for development. So if, if there's a concern that a building is too big on a site, you can regulate what's called a Fourieri ratio and cap it at a certain amount. Um, there's ways of using lists where you basically offer options on complying with specific fixed standards. I'm gonna show you a scorecard, and then there's also benchmarks and performance measures. So before we get into a few more of these, I just want to show kind of a, I think a simple good example of objective design standards. And these are actually kind of the easy things. Uh, building setbacks are measurable and verifiable. If the code says that you have to have a 20 foot front setback, that's from the property line to the front of the house, the plans either show 20 feet or they don't. And if they don't show 20 feet, then they don't comply. Um, and so setbacks are one of the things that Vacaville has very clearly delineated like most cities. Um, that's, this is the easy part. Other examples of defined standards are things like height limits. Um, if, a, if a multifamily area has a maximum height of 45 feet, that is the height. If someone comes in and it's 45 feet tall, they comply. Um, the city council has an opportunity to look at height um, limits to, it again, as a way of addressing the massing and form of future development. And I'm gonna show an example of something called step backs that some cities use in addition to setbacks and height limits, again, that kind of address how new development is massed on a property. So these are, again, just some more fun examples. True, false, all homes have a front door facing the street. The second story is step back a minimum of five feet from the first story. So in that second example, you have a first story that might be 20 feet back. The second story is required to be an additional five feet back, and that reduces the bulk of that maybe single-family home on the street. Um, counts and measurements example, um, would, an example of that kind of standard would be, and we have some of these in our code, any development that includes 10 or more units shall provide two common open spaces of at least 400 square feet each. So it's very specific. It's based on you know, counts and measurements. Um, let's see. 
scorecards. Um, scorecard, this one I was found interesting, and this is not something that's come to council, but it shows you just kind of a methodology. Some cities for landscaping are actually using uh, plant scorecards to ensure that developers are providing a bountiful mix of um, shrubbery and trees, but literally you get points based on what types of things you employ and you have to achieve a certain amount of points. And that's just another tool um, in the toolbox. Um, and then another one that's quite getting more common with um, particularly Bay Area jurisdictions is the city just requiring that all residential projects meet the tier one Cal Green standards. And that has a whole bunch of fixed black and white yes or no standards that come with that for energy efficiency. So this one, I want to show this um, illustration, and this is an excerpt from the Marin County Objective Design Standards because they have a lot of lower intensity developments. So I just found this illustration. So if you're looking at this, they essentially have these little diagrams that show you the height of the first floor, the height of the second floor, the height of the, the roof to the top, and then they have different um, specific standards for each of those. So every house is looked at through the lens of specific standards that regulate all aspects of the building. I'm gonna kind of keep that one simple and keep going. Now this one, I'm not, it's not applicable to Vacaville, but it does help me illustrate step backs. And this comes from the city of San Jose's, some of their design guidelines for more urban areas. So if you look at the one, the diagram on the left, there is a, um, on the, there's two floors and then there's a required step back and then the next two floors are back six feet and there's another required step back. We're not gonna probably see eight, six, eight, 10 story development here in Vacaville. I mean, I think that's unlikely, but there are ways of utilizing step backs, requiring them as part of multifamily residential development to reduce the perceived bulk and mass of, of the new housing. Um, you know, in urban areas, sometimes that's less sensitive. In suburban areas, obviously that can be more sensitive. So step backs are an important tool in our objective design standards considerations. So now I'm gonna switch gears and get into our code. Um, I, I, did a, I didn't spend millions of hours, but I did a fairly thorough evaluation of our recently updated land use and development code. And the good news is we have a lot of objective standards. We have a lot of, you have to do this, you have to do three of these things, um, very specific black and white. I would say there are some areas for improvement, and some of this is as you roll out a new code, you try it out on some projects, you always learn things. So I'm gonna highlight a few areas that I think we could improve on. Um, and the biggest finding I'm just gonna start with is I believe we should take a look at the massing and height of multifamily projects and, and tweak or change some of our standards to be more objective so we essentially ensure that we're getting what we want. And then as I looked at the single family standards, interestingly, they are more robust than the multifamily standards and they're way more specific and objective, but there are still a few areas that I think can be clarified. So tonight I'm just gonna give a few examples uh, because ultimately after the study session, should the council wish for staff to take this on as part of a work plan, we would do a very thorough um, dive into our code. A lot of words and I promise not to read all of them. So section 14960, design requirements for buildings with three or more units. This is just an excerpt from our adopted code. Um, it talks about how, and it says, we're gonna reduce building massing when located adjacent to a residential property at a lower density. So I think we can all think of sites where we have a proposed or planned multifamily adjacent to lower density residential. And there are some standards that are very objective. And the first one, which I did not highlight, new buildings that are more than three stories shall incorporate a clearly expressed base, middle, and top. 
Okay, that's could sound subjective, but a base, a middle, and top are visible on a, on a building. You can see that. I highlighted the yellow one. I like this one. Incorporate a prominent vis visual termination for the building, such as roof details, forms, cornices, eaves, and parapets. How would you know if you had done enough? How would you know if you achieved that? It, that's just one of the ones that caught my eye. And I like the one that I highlighted in yellow at the bottom, variation in wall planes by incorporating bay windows, decks, recesses, or setbacks, or balconies into the design. Interestingly, in the single family standards, we start to dictate how frequently you have to have a bay window or how frequently you have to have a recess. And we have a little bit of this in our code, in our multifamily standards, but I think we need to probably do a little more work um, in that arena. And this is where I, I did find some specific things. So this is still the multifamily standards. We say that a wall plane larger than 30 feet in width shall be articulated. So when you have a sheer wall that's 30 feet, 30 feet wide, you have to articulate it. Again, though, we don't provide specific, this is, these are the things you have to do that are measurable objective, that the developer knows what is needed, the community knows what's expected. And so again, this is why I'm, I'm bringing forward a recommendation that we probably gotta take a closer look <clears throat> at our multifamily development standards. So single family and two family, it's got, they're called the one and two unit design standards. These are much more in, de in detail. And I actually think that totally reflects the fact that in Vacaville, we build a lot of single family homes. So the, these standards are very um, rich and full. So we have um, specific objective standards for wall planes. Um, we talk about, um, they have to be articulated again, probably could add a few metrics in there to make them a little more specific. Um, we require um, front porches with decorative columns or railings. So it, you have to have a porch. It has to have columns or railings. That's fairly, obje fairly objective. Uh, we talk about three colors for the building and that is objective. You either have three colors or you don't. So again, that's an example of one of our effective standards. Um, I'm gonna then move on to parking standards. So. In our municipal code, there's a table, 1409230A, and it actually summarizes our parking requirements. And I just took the piece that relates to residential. And this is very common. All cities pretty much do it this way. Parking requirements for residential development are based on um, the number of units or the type of housing. So we require one space for studio or one bedroom units, two spaces for two bedroom units, and we have guest space for every three dwelling units. So this is an objective standard. If someone comes in proposing a residential development and they're meeting these requirements, they have met our requirements and that is it's kind of the state says we can't really go any farther. We also in our requirements, and these are also actually very objective, um, we allow offsite parking for um, multifamily development specifically. We say that offsite parking may be counted toward the required number of parking spaces in accordance with specific standards. So the standards are actually are specific. It looks at the site that's being developed, whether it has all the frontage or part of the frontage, and it assigns a length for each space, and you have to demonstrate that you meet it. But at this point, our code has objective standards that allow folks to utilize offsite parking as part of a multifamily residential development. And then on the other side of offsite parking, and this one's more applicable to um, I would say um, urban areas like downtown, actually downtown. So um, we allow offsite parking facilities. So, and then this the example would be you have an apartment, a new apartment or condo complex downtown. They don't want to put all their parking on site. Maybe they want to utilize part of a city parking lot or build a parking garage or whatever. Our code allows for that and it locks down, has to be, a, there's a distance requirement. You have to have an agreement or easement, but essentially, there is an objective standard that allows folks to um, utilize offsite parking for like kind of urban, more infill development projects. 
Okay, at this point in my presentation, I'm gonna shift over to housing element implementation. So thank you for adopting the housing element. My staff and I are grateful that that's done. And now we, have to, now we all have to do all the work of implementing it. So I just wanna feature a couple of the housing element programs that are relevant to tonight's discussion. Uh, one of our requirements is we have to amend our parking to reduce the requirement for studio apartment units to 0.5 spaces per unit. It's currently one space per unit, it will be 0.5 spaces per unit, and this is to comply with state law. I would advise the council, we don't get a lot of studios in Vacaville, so I'm not sure of what the impact will be of this particular change, but the state says we have to do it. We have to do it by December of 24, and staff's gonna kind of work it into one of our work plans that'll be coming to you next year uh, for action. Uh, the other thing we have to do, again, by December of 24, is to examine our parking requirements to see if there's anything we could change that would facilitate more mixed use, missing middle, or affordable housing pro projects. So this is actually not an objective standard. We do have to examine the parking requirements. We have to look at it. The state isn't saying this is the specific outcome that we want, but that's one of the things that's on the planning work program for next year, this year and next year. And then we're also required, and this one gets a little bit um, very detailed planning, but essentially, the while we have mostly objective standards for housing, the findings that the council or the director or the planning commission makes to approve it still use sort of wishy-washy subjective language. So we need to clean those up to make them reflect that if you meet the objective standards, the project is, we can make findings for approval. And that's not due till December of 25. So at this point, I've gone over my presentation. Um, I have two slides that talk about next steps, um, but a lot of the next steps would be driven by the council. I guess the first set of next steps are things that we have to do. <laughs> so they're the two um, housing element programs, um, housing element program 19 and 15 that'll be coming the council's way. Uh, the next two things are more things we could do. Um, and. It, Part of, there's, a, there's actually 40 housing element programs, so some of them actually do touch on objective design standards, and we're still kind of fleshing out how to bring that forward. But based on the work that was done to prepare the study session, staff believes we could do, we could do some work on our standards to, um, to tune them up and make them more objective and make them clearer for the benefit of developers who like to know what the rules are and for the benefit of the council who likely wants to know what to expect. So um, we do need to keep in mind that any changes we make to our code cannot have the effect of somehow not allowing residential development at the density set in our general plan. And that's a key thing. The state will not let you bump up parking requirements and reduce heights such that you make development infeasible on a site. So it's a little bit of a balancing act to try to achieve community objectives and still have the housing envisioned, but that would be part of that work. And then um, if the council wants to, we can spend some more time, as I said, on um, tuning up our objective design standards. And some of that, depending on what you're interested in, could be incorporated into the code amendment package that we're gonna launch next month with the goal of bringing it to council in June of 24, or it could be in one of the other um, program implementation packages that are gonna be coming your way over the next couple years. So that concludes my presentation. I'm really happy to take any questions or comments or direction. Thank you, and I know that this is just a uh, study session, but you got straight to the point that you cannot adjust your parking standards to adjust the actual density. But uh, I think at least from a perspective, are there, I mean, are there ways that we can actually look at the off, you know, it's the, it's the off street parking that usually like what we saw in Southtown affect a neighborhood and uh, what we allow uh, is there any room to address that? 
I, 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 if the council's interested in this, we could certainly study it and we can look at how other cities utilize um, public street parking to either allow or not allow that to be counted. And we can at least do some data and bring that back to council or we do the data, maybe we find some solutions and we come back with those. But that's something we, we could explore. Just from my perspective, because while the state might see it as trying to curtail building, um, encourage this. I also recognize that there's neighbors that sometimes by design, and so that that we had a front row seat to this. We want to make sure that what we've learned from the Baltown project that we can actually produce something that's good for the community, but it's also something that doesn't create the disruptions that we know that parking causes. That I am going to go to Councilmember Silver. Um, thank you for your comment. I, I just, um, I've lived in a good number of different cities through the, through the years. <clears throat> um, the on, I think when we're counting off, uh, excuse me, on street parking, I think that in itself, uh, creates a, a challenge as, uh, time goes by. Cause we see older neighborhoods, how those get impacted. Uh, doesn't, I know we're, maybe it's outside our, I know it's out of our power as far as the ratio of having to decrease one parking uh, one parking spot for a studio down to a half. Uh, I know if I had a studio and I didn't have a car and I had a parking spot, I'd probably pay, charge to uh, rent that parking spot out uh, just so I can get out of that studio one day, or maybe get my own little riding. So, um, but uh, you know, it is, it is what it is. So does that, is there any other, uh, from your understanding, is there any other restrictions that the state is going to be mandating as far as adjusting other parking spaces per units? This presentation really focused on most the things that are within the city's control and the things we're going to do as part of the housing element. But state density bonus law allows for um, affordable housing projects, project housing, housing for seniors, housing for certain targeted populations to implement much lower parking requirements. And that, that overlaps with our local standards. So it is something to keep in mind. Uh, the state, if someone's going to do a density bonus project, let's say they deed restrict 10% to affordable, they then get to take advantage of a menu of incentives and concessions and parking relief, you know, if they want to, they have that option. I mean, I mean, generally like in high density urban areas, that rationale makes sense um, to where you don't need a car because everything's within walking distance. And so, I mean, that's part of the rationale that we have as far as with our downtown, uh, you know, plans to, to develop that. But um, does our, with our current general plan, does it still accommodate for that, that aspect of quiet life for folks being able to access different facilities? Because something else I hear coming up in discussions is if we're going to put low-income housing on the perimeter of our of our city and there's a lack, lack of access to public transport or they themselves uh, may not, you know, depend on their, their financial situation with access to their own vehicles or transportation, uh, how that impacts their quality of life. Is that something that we're... One of the, to answer your question, start one place and I'll go back to objective standards. One of the things about housing developers is that they know that they have to be able to rent or sell the, the places that they build. And so as part of that, um, most of them actually over park or meet parking standards and don't have reduced parking unless they're like literally next to a transit station or are on a site that has really good access because they know that they're not going to be able to rent out or sell places that don't have enough parking. Going back to objective design standards, one of the things I learned in preparing the study session is that 
and this is, would be a more um, comprehensive effort, is that cities basically develop different design standards based on neighborhood context. So they'll have a set of standards for the rural context at the edge of the city, a different set of standards for the more suburban sort of sink two, one and two story kind of area, and then they change the design standards as they go up. I don't know if they change the parking standards though. So that's something that staff could look at as part of looking at the um, offsite parking and the use of street parking for, for development. And then how does the AD, so we've had a few, couple different uh, development proposals or designs um, that included ADUs. How do ADUs influence the need for increased parking or not? Um, the state uh, state law and our code reflects what we're allowed to require for ADUs. Um, we're not allowed to require a lot. Um, I can't remember if it's one space per, for the ADU, and if it can be on the street, it's very limited. So state has taken that down. It's, it's objective, all right. It's very low requirement. And then junior units, we're not allowed to require parking. So what would, what, um, maybe I should ask this question first before that one, but what is the difference between what, Terminology-wise or by law, what's the difference between studio versus an ADU? Uh, an ADU, accessory dwelling unit, for those that don't speak planning, you do apparently, and so do I. Accessory dwelling unit is a an additional living unit on a, an, like an individually owned property. So single-family home builds an accessory dwelling unit, and it's, it's literally part of the same property. Studio apartments are typically, as part of an apartment complex or like a multiplex, it's just a type of apartment that's part of an apartment community. Um, ADUs also under state law have standards about what they have to include. Um, there's just specific things you have to have in them. Uh, studio apartments are, are like every other apartment. Can ADUs be multi-tier, multi-floor, multi-tiered? They can be two stories. We don't see a lot of that here in Vacaville, but they are they are allowed to be two stories. And we have we recently did, or we have to adjust our height limits slightly to allow them to be slightly taller. Still, I mean, still not not particularly tall, but the state says they can be two stories. What about subterranean uh, underneath the ground level? I don't. I think here's a serious question. They are showing up below like Victorian homes, like the historic homes, where they're actually people are excavating and creating that. But it's tough because you have to have a certain floor to ceiling height, and sometimes the exiting requirements don't make it very possible. But it is possible they can be below the existing house. All right, and that's good. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, appreciate the presentation. Uh, Fellow council members, Mayor, already brought up a couple of the issues, one being the offsite parking or on street parking. Uh, like we saw in South Town and what council member Silva and I have seen in our district with all the apartments. Uh, there's no parking like we drive down there right now, like on Montevista, it's probably gonna be very crowded this time this hour. Um, kind of on that, I've seen in other cities where apartment complexes are trying to add in ADUs under their property where just wondering how that'd be an actual ADU versus a new studio apartment. And if they're adding new units in there, would they now have to add those parking spaces to comply for that new unit that's being added? I wish I'd brought in my law book with me because I wasn't thinking about ADUs as part of this, but um, some multifamily properties, not so much the big complexes, but more of the smaller, maybe mom and pop, are adding ADUs because they are exempt from impact fees when they're up to a certain size. So, and the state has said that multifamily properties are able to add ADUs. Uh, we have not had any of those proposals here. I think there are other cities and places that have, but under state law, if you design it as an ADU, 
and has to be under a certain size. You call it an ADU. It's probably a lot like a studio apartment, but the city and the schools and others are not allowed to charge impact fees. Okay. Uh, for the other one. Um, yeah, that's a big one because I see a lot of that happening in other cities that are trying to, the multifamily housing is trying to, where they're labeling as ADU to bypass a lot of things when realistically they are just a studio apartment that they're adding onto the property. Uh, yeah, if there's some clarification, I know the state has a what specifically distinguishes an ADU from a studio apartment, because I think if it's multifamily, they add another unit, that's another apartment, unless whoever's renting it controls that as an accessory dwelling unit. But yeah, if we can just get some clarification on that. Appreciate it. Thank you. Vice Mayor Wiley. Uh, thank you for the presentation. I have one question on objective standards, but then the other two are about apartments and ADUs and parking, so I'll start with those first. So I did notice on one of the pages that it talked about that the parking um, requirements are even lower if it is near transit. And I do feel like that's kind of penalizing us because we do have transit spots, but people aren't necessarily using our public transit as much because you know, it doesn't run as frequently. And I really agree with Council Member Silva because our it's not really the same kind of transit that they have in LA or even Sacramento, so it's harder to use it. But I do believe that parking near transit is um, not as required as other, other kind of parking. And the difference, I, I believe that between a studio and a one bedroom, a studio is open plan and is all there. It doesn't have a separate bedroom, whereas a one bedroom has a door you can close and is a bedroom. So that's that's the way I look at it. So I think that um, what we have mostly in most of the apartments are one bedrooms versus studio. But and then my question is about the new proposed projects like Montessa and Bright Sky. If there is a home with an ADU and a junior ADU, is that going to be considered multifamily or, and how can you say, you know, if an ADU has to be with a house, that's not the case if we have these big complexes. So um, in the case of, I'm going to talk about Montessa because that's the only one that has both an ADU and a junior unit proposed. They are actually accessory dwelling units and junior units because each single family home is on an individual le legally separated lot. So there's the home, the accessory to the home, and the junior accessory to the home. Uh, so they truly are ADUs and junior units, and it's a single family home. The way the development is operated, where all the single family homes are owned by one entity, um, is one of the operational components of that project. Um, the other project, Bright Sky in the Vanden Meadows area, they're proposing a single family home on each of the subdivided lots and then an accessory dwelling unit. And we can't talk about these projects in much detail tonight because they're gonna yet to go through the public hearing process, but staff is working on them. So according to like our list when we're looking at multifamily versus single family, will that be, would it be considered single family? Single family, because it's a single family lot, one house, an accessory and a all paying rent to the same person. Yes. Yeah. All right. So my question is on slide 14. Um, you know, because we really what we're looking at is what is an objective standard? What do we need to do to add to our objective standards? So on slide 14, um, it seemed to me that that would follow the example of a list because the articulation it says shall. It doesn't say may. Shall incorporate pop at 
pop out such as bay windows, balconies, verandas, or a change in color. So it seems like here's a shall and here's a list. So why isn't that an objective standard? I, I looked at this one actually quite a bit. It says shall incorporate, um, shall be articulated. And it talks about pop-outs like bay windows, balconies, or verandas. Um, changing material and color um, is not necessarily physical articulation, but anyway. And then we offer these alternatives, which sound like you could meet this, if this is our objective standard, you could meet this standard by plunking a trellis on the side of building and calling that articulation. So I, it may be that we want to give people just the fullest menu of options from a pop-out bay window to a balcony or a trellis that's, that's, that's nailed into the side of the house. But it is a menu. I don't know if it's a satisfactory men menu to achieve the kind of design we would want to have in our homes. That's, that's, those are my thoughts, because it's, it's a kind of a broad menu. And then when you get down further, it talks about lowering roof plates of the third floor, but it doesn't talk about any metric for that. What is a tall roof plate versus a short roof plate? There's no, there's no specific standard. Right. That one I yeah. wasn't. I, That's I, why I highlighted that one. That's the first part. When yeah. that was, it seemed to me that that would be acceptable. So then my other process question. So we identify places where we need to have objective standards. And is it your department then that writes up standards and then goes through iterations of all these things. And then does the council then finally have to approve these new objective standards? Or tell me what the process is if that's not it. So um, the process for code amendments, because any of these changes to our standards would be um, a zoning code amendment or a land use and development code amendment. It, the code does not change unless the council approves the changes. Um, for things that are um, very specific, like changing the parking requirement for studios, uh, there's not a lot of analysis there. It still goes through uh, community outreach, discussions with developers, it goes to planning commission to get a recommendation, it comes to council. For these more um, complicated work plans, which I have a bunch of them that will be coming your way as I implement the housing, it'll always follow that same rhythm of community input, other stakeholder input, planning commission input, and council. But for objective standards specifically, we would have to really dive into the code, find all the things that seem to be subjective or need to be clarified, and then make a determination about whether we have the ability in-house to tackle those, whether we need some help tackling those. But ultimately, staff would, planning staff, my department staff, would be um, tackled with, uh, tasked with what are we trying to accomplish? And then coming up with code amendments with or without help to then bring to the public, bring to the commission and bring to the council. And then based on the way things are going with the laws, that's the, the area we're headed, is that correct? We have a code that has a lot of objective standards, but if the council's not satisfied with how multifamily residential is turning out, I think we have an opportunity to um, improve our object objective standards in that area. Thank and that, that would help us not have projects be deemed compliant that aren't really achieving what, what the council wants. Okay, thank you. Council Member Stockton. Hello, thank you for the presentation. Um, I kind of want to look at this in a different direction. How can we create objective standards that will incentivize them to build the, the types of projects that we want them to build? If the state is saying that they are going to force us to lower things to half you know, 0.5 parking spots per unit. Um, I would be interested to hear maybe some creative objective standards or metrics or a sliding scale based upon, um, you know, some additional factors that may be, in, be able to incentivize them to build the types of communities or that, that we want them to. 
Um, I'm also, I agree about the um, off-site parking. I think that is gonna be the largest concern. Um, I believe we already have some objective standards related to noise, is that correct? Um, which was another one that was brought up. And the last one is, um, I just wanna make sure that we have objective standards related to all of these ADUs and older infrastructure that may not be able to handle some of those things. Is that already exist in the code or is that something that is also being worked on since this seems to be kind of a more popular thing that's happening now? Uh, we will again be updating our ADU objective standards to follow some recent changes in state law, but we do actually have comprehensive objective standards in our code that are, that are mostly compliant with state law because they have to be. So that's something that is handled. On the infrastructure side, I'm not aware of any situations where an ADU has not been able to proceed because of a lack of infrastructure, but it is something that could come up if there's more and more ADUs. And that's something that um, my team again will be looking at and bringing to council when we start implementing the ADU programs and explorations that our housing element call for. But those are more in the next second half of next year going into the following year. And are there some creative ways that we may be able to incentivize them to build more parking on some of these projects? Possibly we have a, another housing element work program to incentivize missing middle, um, kind of like low mid density type housing. And so we're actually tasked with coming up with incentives. And so as part of those incentives, we think about what are we trying to accomplish? We wanna accomplish the housing, but are there things that are important to us? And so that's something we could take a look at. Councilmember Silva. Sorry, thank you. There's uh, two more questions I was gonna ask earlier, but just to clarify for the housing element, is there uh, within this particular document on those multiple different documents and angles we look at housing uh, but the impact to schools is something that continues to come up is that something that would be or could be addressed within our objective standards uh, if there's a negative impact that the school district or districts uh, uh, speak to um, my understanding let's say for example uh, Travis Unify comes out and says, no, we can't accommodate anymore at this, this site, but we can accommodate over here or, you know, at, a, at another, another spot. Uh, regardless, uh, currently, in my understanding, uh, that that development would have, could still go through. Um, there's, no, there's nothing that we can do to, to deny that. Is there any way to, uh, if, if school districts say that our schools are over-impacted or districts over-impacted, if we get to that point, um, is that something that can be worked in to the housing element? School impacts are definitely not objective design standards because objective design standards are focused on the built residential, like whatever it is, the three-story apartment building or the two-story house. Um, on the other side, the school impacts are really looked at typically through the general plan. When the general plan was last updated in 2015, that's when it gets looked at. I'm not saying it all works out very well. I mean, I, we all hear a lot about schools. But that's really when, when the city's deciding to, for example, introduce new residential areas, and that's something that this council will see as we start talking about the east of Leisure Town area, um, the school is at the table, and they're looking at what kind of student population will come out of this, and when, where will they go to school, and do we have enough schools? So that's really when school stuff will get looked at as part of that um, general plan level comprehensive land planning, not site specific for a specific residential project. And another trend I see happening, thank you uh, for clarifying that. Another trend I see happening is uh, the, in order to buy, so I'm, I'm getting a lot of calls lately from different folks about uh, just how we need a place. Um, you know, we were at somewhere as an opportunity house that came up, 
Um, and Mike, hey, hey, do you have any progress on that? Uh, so, uh, and it's, you know, we, we've approved, as a council, we've approved three, three separate subsidized projects, uh, you know, in the last two years, uh, which are uh, three or four. Um, so, but I know that some of those projects in themselves are dependent on state funding to help meet the subsidized cost for that. Uh, so something I've been seeing, and correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, but uh, sometimes the scale of the project determines whether or not this, the state is willing to allocate funding to support that diff, that that missing uh, costs to develop it. Uh, something that we as a council have decided to allocate funds from what from our um, our funding source. So, uh, question: If if we get to the point to where, in order to address that, we have to increase the amount of units in order to support more subsidized units, more quote unquote affordable housing or whatever we may uh, want to call it. Can we work in our object in the housing element object objective standards that will require a certain amount of amenities for those folks? So I think the, the goal wouldn't be to like, how many people can we pack into a small amount of space? Um, the goal is how do we provide what people are looking, how do we provide what residents are looking for that best benefits our, our community? Um, while still preserving the quality of life. Uh, is there any way to work that? Uh, I'm gonna start with yes. Um, our, even our current objective design standards for multifamily have metrics and very specific requirements for open space, the amount, the dimensions. And in particular, if we do a little more work on objective standards to focus on like more like the right next to transit versus on the edges of the city, there's an opportunity to take another look at what amenities we're requiring, but it can't be, uh, multifamily housing should incorporate, you know, barbecue areas or tot lots. It would have to be multifamily developments of this many units shall incorporate a, you know, 200 square foot tot lot or whatever. We, we, that, those are the kind of, that's the kind of specificity we need to get into. And whether it's a menu of options, a point system, um, just like saying this is what it's going to be, um, there is an opportunity to further refine that when we're thinking about some of the more dense uh, developments that might be happening near our transit centers in particular. And so if, would you suggest that, let's say something that maybe currently be suggested at 100 units, just thrown out a number, and then in the future, oh no, we cannot, we should, in order to uh, build this out and to be financially sustainable, it needs to be 200. Is that something that we should work in as far as the scale, scaling? Uh, scaling the amount of amenities per units? That's what that we'd have to look at, but yes, because there, there are different, when you have like a 50 unit apartment complex, there's only so much it's gonna accomplish in terms of amenities. Just usually picking on that one, cause that's kind of like a smaller apartment complex. And as they get larger, not only do they usually want to, but they need amenities and we want them to have amenities. So it certainly, it is a scale issue of up to a certain number of units. Maybe it's one set of specific standards and then over a certain amount of units, it goes up. But to your point, Councilman Silva, um, there's always this push-pull with um, particularly like infill development near transit that there's trade-offs with we can get more units, but maybe we don't have the roof deck. Um, we haven't had roof decks here, but that's something like we're going to have a roof deck, but now we're going to have some units and we're not going to have a roof deck. There's always this tension between amenities and accomplishing density. Um, we, If we have objective standards that um, account for that, um, we may we may be able to ensure better, better development. Thank, thank you. And my, my last question is just Typically, we see larger uh, developers that have a, a good amount of money or capital to develop much larger projects. I don't really see anybody being able to financially build anything on a smaller scale. So like, for example, if I wanted to build a fourplex, um, it, there just seems to be, I don't see that happening uh, from individuals. Is that, 
Um, is that something that that's something that you notice? And is that something that we can maybe help address if we want to see more individuals um, be able to develop that? The program that I touched on in response to Councilman Stockton about the um, incentives for missing middle and kind of uh, those lower scale, but nonetheless not single family homes, that's in our work plan to look at what can be done to incentivize those. When I've talked to developers here and, and others, mostly developers, generally they say that really smaller projects just don't pencil here. The land value and what you're going to rent it for or sell it for, it just does not work financially. But again, if we want these smaller scale developments, these three plexes, four plexes, et cetera, um, actually our housing element obligates to look, us to look at what it would take to incentivize those to make them happen. Thank you. Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, uh, I remember what I was going to ask earlier, kind of going back to um, emergency planning evacuation aspect i know currently it's if it exceeds 10 units they have to have at least two exits from the property uh when you get into larger developments as far as i'm aware there's no nothing saying once it exceeds 10 they need more than two so i'd like to see some type of standard in there per like number of units because trying to evacuate 50 units on two roads is the same amount of exits as 10 people is vastly different with there's a wildfire or trying to get emergency services into those uh, developments. So that's something I'd like to look at as well is because I know currently it only requires two if it's over 10 units. So maybe there's a threshold if it's 50 or 100, uh, look at requiring a set amount of exits from the development. Councilmember Chapman. Thank you. Thank you for your report. And I'm going to bring in, um, I'm going to uh, touch on something that may not fall uh, in the subject area of housing element. However, when we're talking about the high density housing, and I wanna bring it in now because um, staff is aware that um, I was not receiving additional voice messages on my phone because it was full. I had 20 voice messages that I could not retrieve. Well, I spent the past evening retrieving all the messages and they date back to February. Yes, back to February. And um, a few of the messages pertain to high density projects coming in. They spoke about the one at, uh, shoot, I know I was going on Peabody, um, Heath, uh, Cliff, Cliffside. Cliffside. Uh, they brought up that one and they couldn't understand. So a few of the uh, callers uh, wanted to know about the high density. Why aren't we, why aren't we doing better um, with that? And then I'm not sure if it was in your report, but it was in a staff report. It might've been an article that I read where they were talking about addressing um, affordable housing, the wages where we are today, I think the low income now is $70,000. Well, I'm afraid I fall into that as a senior citizen on retirement. And then the medium, I think it's 140,000. Uh, was that in your report? It, it changed again recently, but like a median for a family of four is now definitely over 100,000. I can't remember the exact figure, but yes. It's right. a lot. So that was I mean, part of your report. Yes. I found that very interesting, and I think it is something that if you have time, if we can, 
have a presentation on that for the community so they can understand about affordable housing. What I've been talking about uh, for affordable affordable housing and why don't we have these units in place so people, you know, our young people and all can come in. Um, this, um, I think it's critical that we provide that information to the community, to the public, because I was ignorant. I'm gonna be honest, I was ignorant. I didn't realize that the amount of money you had to make in order to qualify for even affordable housing, no one is making that. I mean, I shouldn't say no one is making that. That's not true. But see, I'm getting ready to go off on my soapbox. The young man, I mean, the gentleman that spoke this evening about living with his father and what they need right now. Uh, me. So anyway, like I said, I don't know if what I'm saying falls under housing element, um, but I wanted to make certain that at one point or at one time, if we can uh, delve deeper into that data that you have presented, uh, inform the community of that information and they can get a better understanding of why uh, they may be thinking we're not considering the, the residents in need here. Okay, I think do, we're trying sure, to- I, I can offer a couple of responses on that. So um, with regards to the, the availability of you know, affordable housing in our community, our housing and community services department does an excellent job uh, working with folks and, and identifying what's available, what are the, the um, income limits and everything and the eligibility requirements. So they spend a lot of time with folks to help them um, secure housing where they can. Conversation um, where the opportunity will come back for the council to, to discuss further is if you recall, one of the things that we did as part of the housing strategy that was kind of then folded into the housing element is the whole conversation about inclusionary zoning. Right now, our methodology has been very um, simplistic and does not, and it's gonna run out. Our ability to provide housing, affordable housing that is, is based on properties that the city owns from the former redevelopment agency. Um, we're running out of that property. And so as we shared with council, it's gonna be incumbent on us to find new means to do that. And inclusionary um, housing zoning is the way that we believe that it's gonna have to be accomplished. And part of our work plan in the housing element is to bring that back to council to discuss that at all the different levels that it needs to be done. What you're seeing with going back to one of the um, comments that Councilmember Silva brought up in terms of you know some of these other projects that you have approved subsidized housing on city-owned property, it is a super competitive market out there right now for tax credits and financing from the state. There's more affordable housing projects um, than money out there right now, and so we have been working. Emily and her team has been working with a variety of different developers that Council has approved on those projects, and they're on their third or fourth effort to try, and it is so competitive that it's getting down to you know the, the extra credit points, and they're getting closer and closer, but again, it's up and down the state. So um, we're working in, we continue to work on those projects, but to, to provide new um, product, new uh, supply, we're gonna have to explore that inclusionary housing, and so we'll be bringing that back to council to have that bigger conversation. Have any idea how soon? on that big list of 40 projects in the housing element, so we're working on it. I'll let you know. I know, okay, thank you. Thank you for the um, presentation so far. I did have a question and that is I'm just using, there's always going to be this, and you mentioned yourself, maybe we don't have enough 
of these objective standards in the multifamily. We experienced that as a city and as a council in a project. And I can think of a design and you try to make it objective. And so there's questions. One is, is what will, based on tonight, what will your next steps be? But I'll start with the question first. Um, when, when I think of a project where you're gonna put an apartment complex next to a residential area. One example is, is access you need, right? You need more than one ent entrance and exit. And so it becomes the, the flow of parking, traffic, and people. Yet the design, when I looked at it, it puts the access for people to drive in and out of a neighborhood because of the signals and the controls right in front of somebody's house. Probably all two, 300 cars every day. It could have been designed differently, but it was it was already part of the design. So I would like to make sure that when we think of this, areas that we can control as far as the way people move through residential areas, especially in a multifamily environment, impact. And if there is design standards that can look at that and say, why the front and the back only? Why it couldn't have been on either side and to limit the movement of vehicles and also the impact so that gets to the question of what the next steps are. Are you going to create part of your staff and team to take what you're hearing and what we've experienced and create recommendations that come back to us and then discuss it further? Uh, yes, um, but tonight I've heard a lot of unity around the theme of on-street parking and looking at how that's addressed. Um, I've heard um, just a need for a lot of clear, just clarification. What is an ADU? What is a studio? Why are they different, et cetera? Um, I've definitely heard different council people individually talking about, you know, the kind of tensions around Southtown and the massing and the form. Not, haven't got a super clear direction. You all want to go down the road of really um, adjusting our standards to address that. But it, should the council like us to do this or move forward with changes to our standards to try to address some of these concerns, uh, we would we would basically draft up a work plan, um, which is basically this zoning, it's a land use and development code update that we're trying to bring to council next June. And we would incorporate this as part of the work plan. And so there'd be staff analysis. And then it, depending on, again, these work plans, it's a year long process, but part of it would be figuring out when do we need to check in with you? Like if we've done some research, is that a good time to check in? Um, if we do some research, maybe that's a good time to have a community meeting, but that's part of crafting the work plan is kind of outlining that transparent public process. And at the end of the day, you would see the work. Great, thank you. Councilmember Ritchie. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you for my presentation. And today's one of my bad voice days, so I've been kind of quiet, but uh, <clears throat> it's a lot of work you did. And I really had some great comments from the council and the mayor. Um, the, he he's actually asked questions about asking you like next steps. How how do you want us to proceed, and how often do you want input from us? So therefore, we're not stopping the train from progress moving because you're you're jostled by all of our questions of how can we create add value and kind of insert our opinions from the public and for ourselves into how to kind of make the objective standards for the city better. Um, I think it's great. The, the more clarification, the more clarity we have. And giving the developers, you know, above four units is commercial, three to three and under is residential, giving everyone the opportunity to say, aha, this is exactly what I need to do to build efficiently as possible to adhere to the code, to not get caught up and bottled up. Because 
the time a developer comes to backfill, the time they put a shovel on the ground is very important. And it needs to be absolutely clear of exactly what we want and expect from them, whole process. Therefore, time is money. If we take a project from inception to completion and we draw it another four years, well, those renters are gonna pay for it. The homeowners are gonna pay for it. If we make it extremely clear on what we want and need and desire in the city from parking, it's gonna close that gap and they won't offset that carrying cost uh, to our young backfill residents are trying to buy, or young backfill residents are trying to rent because they will make the money up. That it's business. So I, I, just, I think this, is, this objective standard is making sure it all lines up housing development. How, how are we gonna design something that gives them so much clarity? I think it's important because um, it is a problem. I mean, try to create uh, affordable housing and like as uh, Councilwoman Chapman was talking, it's, um, I, I tried to mention a few times and use analogies of like, let's, let's stop using the word like affordable housing. Let's, and I get examples in the past, I'm gonna go into it now, but uh, people, these are our doc, these are our nurses, these are our teachers, they qualify under the crazy guidelines of people that are low income. And we need to make sure that we address that with dignity and make sure that we have the ability to provide housing for our residents that serve our community and live our community. But yeah, it's like, it's a really hard task because the cost for land, the cost permits, the cost of construction, the cost of everything is just really high. So I think we give that structure the time we need to make sure that, hey, they know they can bring a project and this is the parking. We'll allow this, this offsite, onsite, the setbacks. Um, hey, if you if you do do a rooftop um, structure, we will allow higher density because you're adding that amenity. Like they're like, okay, they can pencil it in. For allowing us to do this, another set of five units, and if we provide this amenity, we could therefore meet that amenity and increase maybe 10 of the set of five additional units to be at a lower cost point. So there's a win-win. I mean, I think if they have that really tied in, it allowed development to go faster and smoother. I mean, I don't know how you want us to help you. I, I just, I feel like we, all, all seven of us are back and back and forth, back and forth. I don't want to take a not 18 month project, three years, because you're constantly asked, answering our questions. Like how should we communicate with the staff? Um, everything goes to our city manager. Um, he and I have been working together since the spring to bring the council informational <laughs> sessions on sort of all things housing and all things development review. Although um, you, sir, said this is the last session, I don't think that's actually true because we have a housing wrap-up, bringing all the pieces together session that I'm going to be working on, and also we need to bring you um, a decision about inclusionary housing. We need to decide by the end of this year whether to proceed. And then we also have the topic of the urban reserve. So we have a lot of um, time ahead of us, but I guess to answer your question, um, Councilmember Ritchie, staff has a work plan that's being developed that addresses the things we have to change per our housing element that relate to objective standards. I've heard tonight from council that you want us to look at some other things as well. We'll add that to the work plan and make it do an assessment. And then at some point as part of this, this um, year long, well, it's 11 month long process, we will be coming to council to inform you of the different pieces, what's, what's, what's happening, um, what our outreach is. And so you'll have the opportunity again to touch base with us about the progress of the project. And with that, I would have a question for the city manager. Um, do you have the resources? Because I know that uh, there's there's a lot of pressure in community development right now. And so I would ask that if you need the resources. That... 
We are talking very closely about that to ensure that we're not um, overtasking our planning department and other departments, uh, including our housing. At this time, we think we have it covered. Thank you. With that, I'm going to open it up to the public for comment on this item. Couldn't help yourself. Come on. Mr. Mayor, Council, I just wanted to reiterate something I said before, and I really appreciate what, what we're doing here. Um, I just don't want us to forget the growing number of senior citizens and, and Councilwoman Chapman pointed something out there. And that fellow that spoke earlier, he's not alone. You know, I took care of my folks all the way through hospice, et cetera. And boy, you're shaving it close, very close. And you're having to pay your parents' expenses, which is probably fair. They paid yours when you're growing up. But if we could focus on safe and accessible housing for seniors, I'd appreciate that. But again, I want to emphasize safe, just plopping them down into a, an area that high crime or nobody else wants it. So we're going to park the old folks there. Um, I think, th I don't think anybody in this council or city thinks that way, but if we could really focus in on that, it is, it's a growing demographic. Yeah, I think that shows the heart of this community if we take a good look at that. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing no more, I will bring this back to the council and uh, appreciate the, pr the presentation and uh, sounds like you have a plan and you'll be bringing this back in times when you need more direction and with the public input and I'm sure also with developers sure that they're going to be noticed so that whatever we can learn so that the products that we get are are something that we're all going to be proud of but that we also maintain that level of control that we can and is not to not to uh, get war with the state but recognizing the state has taken away a lot of local control and uh, at the same time we we come upon us to make sure that we stay with the times but we also provide the housing that is needed Appreciate the comments because very real to a lot of people, myself included. So, thank you. Yeah. All right. Next on the agenda is uh, reports of the city manager. Do you have anything this evening? Actually, I do. All right. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, and I'll be brief. But if I could trouble Corey to pull up the the first of my two uh, exhibits. Um, I'm very pleased to, to share with the council uh, a new internal campaign that our staff has created um, called What Is Your Why Campaign? And this is all intended to do a variety of different things, but to promote camaraderie amongst uh, city staff. Um, it falls under our umbrella of COV Life, which is the internal um, effort that we try to do to um, foster employee development and employee morale and culture in the organization, as well as our COV Connect effort, which is really all about getting City Hall out into the community. And we felt that this was a great opportunity for us to introduce uh, a number of our city employees to um, the community, as well as potential uh, recruitment efforts. Um, so we believe that this is a new campaign that we will use to build new relationships internally and externally um, with new businesses and visitors, and just to see us in a different light. Again, I mentioned that it could be used as a recruitment tool. 
And, and the way that this is gonna work is, is that we intend to have about uh, a new post every seven to 10 days. So that means you'll see uh, highlights of about anywhere from 37 to 53 different employees over the course of the year. And along with a quick introduction to who they are and where they're from, um, you'll hear about what their why is. Why do they come and, and serve? And so that's something that uh, uh, we're very excited about that. And this is our first post that we just pushed out this week, uh, Regina Cycles uh, from our uh, Human Resources Department. So continue to look for those. And uh, we appreciate your feedback and support for that. The next one is something that the council is uh, booked for, and that's our national night out. Uh, the next week, Tuesday, August 1st, we have 45 registered neighborhoods signed up for that event. Um, it's getting bigger and bigger every year. In addition, we are also, um, in addition to the neighborhood events that are happening where you're gonna have all kinds of things, barbecues, ice creams, block parties, bands, food trucks. Um, we're also having uh, a special event in Andrews Park where you'll have lots of city um, uh, amenities and folks there to, to be and share with you all kinds of fun things. Um, you'll have from five to eight food vendors, a dunk tank, music, and a foam party, whatever that is. That's, I'm too old for that. Um, but we understand that uh, staff and city council will be making the rounds throughout all the different neighborhoods. And when you go out to those different neighborhoods, please feel free to pick up some information on the Know Your Zone uh, information. So that's the, to follow up on our uh, emergency preparedness plan. And then also we'll be handing out some uh, great new information uh, with the council's support about neighborhood associations. Um, staff has been working very diligently on uh, putting together a toolkit to how to form a neighborhood association and how to pull those neighbors together um, and just do good things for the community. So uh, we look forward to seeing you all out there. If anybody has any questions, please take a look at our website and we have the flyer out there with all kinds of information and where you can go to have some neighborhood fun. So. Thank you. It should be, it's always a great night to get in with the community. So our city staff, it's not just one department, it's the entire city and loves it. So I know I'll be out there as well. So uh, with that, I will um, start with reports to the city council. Councilmember Stockton. Yes, thank you. Um, in, in addition to National Night Out, I'm very excited about that as well. But I, I did want to thank Amber McCabe from the, from the police department Every year, she does such a wonderful job uh, kind of networking everybody together and, and making that event possible. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I also wanted to congratulate uh, Planning Commissioner Ashley Banta on be, becoming the director of the Opportunity House. She has a, she's an amazing young lady with an amazing story, and it's exciting to see her in a position where she can continue to help um, folks that live um, in the city of Vacaville that fall on hard times and are and are looking to um, improve their lives and the lives of their families. So I wanted to congratulate her. And we heard a little bit about baseball earlier today, and I have uh, got a little baseball fever. It is so exciting to watch some of these kids in our community that are competing right now. The Vacaville American Little League 12U team uh, has won a couple tournaments. They're competing um, over in Stockton right now. It's been killing me all day to not check my phone to see whether they won their game at um, 5.30 or 6 o'clock today. Um, and there was also a really, you know, a really cool 9U Pony League World Series with teams from all over the world, including Mexico and Japan, that came to Vacaville um, and, and uh, little kids playing baseball for the love of the game. And it's just really exciting to see things like that happen here with some of our local youth. So I wanted to thank uh, Reggie Hubbard. 
uh, his staff for helping make those things happen. And, and I, I know you um, got some like some last minute emails about some of these things, but I just really appreciate the lengths that staff goes to continually make sure that some of these events uh, happen here in Vacaville for, for our kids and kids across the country to come and check out how wonderful Vacaville is. So thank you. Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we're looking forward to National Night Out. It's always a good time. Um, but I did want to point out something, uh, more of a congratulations to Councilmember Silva's son. Got to take part in a, he's uh, one of four kids selected to take part in a very prestigious event at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier out in uh, DC. And yeah, like it's for military, that's a, that's a huge honor to be able to work there, let alone being selected as a Boy Scout to be able to participate in that event. So it's awesome to have Vacville represented it there as well. So I just want to say congratulations to his son. Um, for Aaron Morris, um, uh, you presented something to Planning Commission, um, must have been maybe a month or two ago now, uh, legislative updates. I found that actually quite useful. There's a lot of good information in there that I think council can use as well. So maybe in one of the future updates that you say we have coming, maybe some of the key ones that will affect our decision-making, I think would be a, a good thing for us to have. Um, and yeah, that's all I have. Thank you. Councilmember Silver. Uh, thank you, Jason, for that. <clears throat> Something that, um, so, he, so just a little, on that, it's, it's, it's really not about him. Um, I do appreciate that. Uh, it means a lot uh, to us as a family. Um, you know, he he did call me and say, hey, Dad, I, I really want to do this. And so it's something he's been working towards for a few months along with a, lo a lot of other kids. But um, <clears throat> to see our youth, uh, you know, future leaders of America, future leaders in our community, um, although I tell him go out and spread his wings. Go. <laughs> um, but I... Well, what's remarkable about a lot of the youth is that um, they understand uh, it's, it's, that it's not about them. Um, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, the three uh, soldiers that, whoever they are, who, who we don't know, um, they're not the only ones in our in our nation. Um, and to hear and have our youth, you know, 13, 14, you know, adolescents understand um, that the opportunities that we have here in this country, uh, as imperfect um, as our history and as divisive as uh, some topics are, is that um, we have the opportunity to continue to make a better life for all. And uh, that wouldn't be without the sacrifices, including those who we may never know their names. And so to hear um, you know, him, uh, he, he and other kids be able to understand that and articulate that better than I can, um, it's, uh, I, I do wanna thank every single veteran, uh, past, current, and future, um, that step up when others aren't able to, um, or maybe in some cases aren't willing to. So, well, um, <clears throat> so I wasn't expecting that, so it kind of threw me off. Um, National Night Out, uh, if anybody out there is interested in helping uh, put on a little game, uh, nothing high risk, because that will trigger some other heartburn. Um, but uh, anything anybody wants to put on to help help put on any type of games for the community at Andrews Park, uh, please reach out. Um, Amber uh, Amber McKev uh, or myself uh, be happy to help uh, figure strategize something. Or if you just want to help out for a little bit, 
uh, we're trying to put together some different activities just to make it more uh, impactful. So uh, the other thing, I, I do want to thank uh, staff, uh, very thorough, um, uh, put on a lot of effort to help a lot of different events. Um, so there was one that downtown Vacaville put out recently along with Fitness Explosion. Um, you know, and usually it's very uncomfortable for folks to, to work out, you know, out in public. And uh, just to see a lot of different folks from different ages, different backgrounds, different sizes going out there and just having fun. It was something that was unique that I haven't quite seen like that. Um, so I'm hoping to see that continue to grow and just want to extend my appreciation to everybody involved in that. Thank you. Councilmember Chapman. Thank you. All right. Um, I made mention of the 20 phone calls that I had received. I do need to, um, if just in case the individual is watching the uh, council meeting this evening, this one individual called me seven, seven times, and I do apologize, and I'm saying it openly to everyone that did not hear back from me. If you've ever called me and you didn't hear back from it, you, you know something was wrong. I think many of you can vouch to that. I'm a person that's going to get right back to you. So I do apologize to um, the individuals that had called and left messages. Um, the other thing, I have a, couple, a few. Um, several of you have mentioned the International Pony um, World Series that took place on Friday. Well, uh, your colleague had the honor of throwing out the first pitch along with Reggie Hubbard. I want you to know I had never thrown a baseball, never. Softball, yes. No, softball, it don't matter. Uh, I was just praying that I got it to the plate. I made it. Yes, I did. It was 100 plus degrees out there, but I want you to know, and I even stayed to watch the first, or I came back to watch the uh, first game, the um, young guys from Mexico and one of our local teams played. Um, it was very exciting, enjoyable. I mean, they were far apart and then they got close and then they took off on them again. However, I really enjoyed it. I'm sorry I didn't get back to watch the other, um, ja the Japan team. I think they were coming on when I was leaving. Um, but um, I do want to say along with that, I don't know if you had the opportunity to read the Vacaville Reporter on Thursday. I'm gonna say it publicly. That was very embarrassing. And I was very disappointed that they would talk negatively about Keating Park. I mean, for them to start out their article in, in that manner was not very respectful to our visitors. We were hosting an international uh, World Series and they're gonna talk about the condition of the park I mean, the first few statements were negative. It was terrible, in my opinion, and I'm saying it openly. They can do better. They could have just, they could have just spoken, hey, people, go out and watch these, I mean, these young um, guys. We, we are hosting the International World Series for the Pony, the nine-year-olds. No, build it up. Took us down right off the bat. And so I had um, an opportunity to speak to um, some of the people that had read the article, they were not happy campers at all, not at all. And then um, there is a placard, and I've already spoken with Reggie Hubbard 
um, there's a placard, uh, Chavez, Edwin Chavez, I think is the name. Um, I would like to see that, if at all possible, I know everything costs money, but to we need to spruce up Keating Park. It's in my district, and you know I'm gonna fight for my district, but I had no idea. Um, it's not that I had no idea. Uh, Public Works and Reg's team did an outstanding job getting the grounds ready for them to come in. And I commend you and your team for a job well done. However, um, we can begin to do more at the park. Now that I've been there, uh, you know, there are things that can be done. So whatever can be done to start sprucing it up. And they also, not they, but um, I did meet the president of the league as well as their regional person and the local uh, coach. Um, had an opportunity to speak with them at length. Um, and they would like to bring this, the World Series back here annually. And in doing so, and they don't want, I mean, I shouldn't say they don't want, but um, <laughs> in the interim, as we get Keating up to where it needs to be to welcome these teams, maybe we can uh, look at offering them centennial for that day, if need, I'm just saying, putting it out there. Um, if they're really sincere about wanting to bring, that's bringing people into Vacaville. You know, that's branding us also, it adds to our brand. So anyway, all right, the next thing I'll get off that soapbox, um, I mentioned phone calls. Um, I had requested um, the number of locations that would be hosting um, National Night Out in District 4. Um, can I get that still? We can have a copy for you tonight. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Reggie, locations. Okay, I'm finished. Thank you. Councilmember Richie. Thank you so much. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'll try to actually segue off of one of the topics she, that, that Councilmember Chapman talked about was public works. Um, so if I don't answer my phone, I'm sorry as well, but I don't really have that much big of an excuse. Um, but I always try to get back to people. Um, but one of the calls I did answer on the spot was a elderly woman that was in my district that had a big problem. It didn't seem too big of a deal. I didn't notice it, but um, there's multiple signs were missing in District 2 that were very important because the buses were passing by. I didn't realize there were stops. Um, and I called Public Works and I got a wonderful text today that the signs were up and it was amazing. So I, I just, just really want to commit. It's really, I'm so happy and grateful for public works. Um, I have the rare opportunity every single day. I see public works working. I go to the gym at 6 a.m. is to information to seven and they are just a, like a silent army just out in the city. Like today outside my window, I watched two members work on one utility box for an hour and a half. They would not quit until they fixed it. It's like, um, the public works on the city works really hard. It's amazing what they do. And like um, that kind of segues also to Parks and Rec. Uh, it, it's really amazing. It's like we, they fixed that problem with the signs. Um, I did offer uh, to many people in the senior center community, my suburban, um, they don't want to take me up. I would have loved driving around. I told them I'd get, get in there very fast. I would have made, been exhilarating, but uh, they, they said, no, Mr. Ritchie. Um, well, we'll wait. But um, I, offered, I did offer it up, but public works uh, took it fast. But when it comes to Parks and Recs, I've been getting a lot of calls also about dogs. <clears throat> so 
I don't want to like agendize this at the moment because I want to have a, I want to find a way to talk to the city, um, Parks and Rec, figure out how can we maybe hear um, groups of people in their community that are contacting me nonstop about they want to have a certain time frame where they can have their dogs off a leash in our parks in some kind of confined area. Um, so I don't know if that's ready to be agendized, but how we, that's something I want to address with public parks and rec. I know it could be safety hazards. So I just want to make sure we can hear their concerns and figure out how can we build um, a safe environment or time frame that the public will know this possibility is that could happen in certain parks. Um, so I, I just want to maybe connect with Reggie and the team to figure out how can we see if there's any framework to, to be feasible in the city of Ackville. Um, and National Night Out, <clears throat> I don't want, uh, that's exciting. So every year I, I try to really make it fun. So I had to figure out my costume for this year. I was Officer Hightower and just, um, but it's really one of those opportunities to, um, so I, I had to figure out what I'm gonna do this year, but it's just an opportunity for us to come together. You know, it's, you know, it's, it is a national event. I don't want to get, it is commercialized, it is planned, but we all have to just kind of drop our shoulders and have fun. Um, this is a great opportunity for little kids and adolescents and teenagers that don't have the best or frequent interactions with our community, our leaders and city officials and police and fire it's to have this great opportunity. Um, so just make sure, don't, it's not a job. Don't, don't show to our district, just be cool and really just kind of take a breath and have fun. Like what Syl was talking about, make it enjoyable. We have to make sure we're not just going here to here to here and shaking hands, connect. I, I think it's really important to like use National Night as an opportunity to really bring the community together. Uh, we had a very spirited um, chambers full of people earlier about unity and diversity. Like these are things we can do to really make sure the community has a connection and a glue. So I will make, I'll make it fun in my district. If yours is not this fun, just give me a text, I'll come on over. But, um, but it's, it's just, <laughs> but um, it's just something I think those opportunities, you know, I've said a thousand times. If, when I see police officers um, interacting with kids and, and the whole form of community policing, um, it really touched my heart because I've had stories my whole life of like where I've had officers that just took their time just to pull over and say, what's up? Or just throw a, a chuck a deuce out the window, a head nod. Like these are things that we can do that will bridge gaps and kind of help communities come together. It's like National Night Out is big. I, I said that was times. Like if you know, if Ian's muscle came to say, hey, we need to buy ten new AC units because we have our windows down all summer long, so therefore we feel that we're connected to the community. So we're driving the neighborhoods. It's not like it's a metal coffin. Buy new AC units if that's what it takes to make sure that they have the opportunity to engage quickly, then it's one of those things, I, it's, yeah, it's a practical no, but I've said it a thousand times, like those little things make a big difference, you know? And uh, I mean, I'm ranting on, but um, I think it's, it's a lot of little bricks to make the castle and like engagement, have a fun, like National Night Out, it's a great opportunity to do these things. So I'll try and make it fun. And I think this, I just want us to make sure it's not another task, just have fun. I hope you want to be deputy rich. Gotta figure it out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Vice Mayor Wiley. Well, I have a ball story too. I just want to say that. <laughs>
it, I wasn't throwing out the ball, but I was hitting the ball at the T-ball time um, in July 8th when we had four-year-olds four and five-year-olds all out there. I don't know, I think there were about 200 kids and 10 of the teams. So it's just really great to see the families out for the T-ball. And I hit it, but just barely off the tee, <laughs> but it didn't move. So that's my T-ball story. And I want to say that this morning I was in these chambers for the prom uh, welcoming three new police officers. So it was really wonderful to have the seats filled with public and family and police officers and staff that were welcoming our three new police officers to Vacaville. So it's very, you know, great to be proud of, of people here. And then, you know, to see the seats all full tonight, it's wonderful to be able to hear our community and there wasn't even enough room. One woman had her own lawn chair back in the back and many people were just standing in the back. So I did appreciate the passion of the people that were here. And one person asked the question, and I don't know if you're Christian or not, but I will clearly say I am a Christian and God has been in my life through sorrows and through joys. And I value my church family. So it's not a question, are you a Christian or not? I also have been a teacher. I spent almost 40 years in education. So the safety and protection of our children, our adolescents, is a priority for me then and still has been and will always be a priority. Unfortunately, I think that there are many elements in society that affect the behavior of a sexual predator and it's not just whether a flag is flying or not because that's not the primary reason. And that's one thing we need to deal with mental health and so many other things with our society. Um, so it's, I don't feel it's just a question of the flag. I was very reassured by comments from several people who said they wanted to be inclusive of those people. It was the flag that, that was the issue. So I do feel like people were not saying, I don't value other people. Um, so I, I, was, I was reassured to hear that. I will say uh, there's a couple of things I'm looking forward to as well. National Night Out is one of those on Monday. It'll be great to be able to be out with our community and District 6 has quite a few on the books, so that'll be great. On Thursday, um, it's a big time for the community at Travis Air Force Base, which affects our Vacaville community, because on Thursday will be the big um, arrival of the KC-46 planes, and they're gonna have a, a big presentation, and I'll be out there on Thursday to, be, to participate and to be um, sort of representing Vacaville Council at that presentation. And then on Friday, thanks to the action of this council, we had um, a proposal in front of us several meetings ago about whether or not to convert the commercial property in District 6 around Vanden back to residential. And we decided not to make that change at that time. And so some energetic people in District 6 um, have developed and worked with the Parks and Rec and have a Magnolia, a pop-up op. So it's a pop-up opportunity. And what we're wanting to do is get like small businesses or the lemonade stands or ice cream shops or other kind of, of businesses to take the opportunity to be at Magnolia Park on a regular schedule so that 
other people that could participate in that. So this Friday in the morning, we're going to survey people that are at the park. What are you interested in seeing? And we have some maps, thanks to the community development department, gave us a map so we can talk to, talk to the people in the district would you support this? What are you interested in? But that wouldn't have been possible had we said, let's just all make it residential because there's not much commercial in District 6 and we want to see, is it viable? And I really do appreciate all the support that um, the ladies who are working on it have had working with city staff. So now we'll get the input from, from the neighborhood. So that's my report. Thank you. And uh, just a, a few things to wrap um, wrap up here. Brian, thank you for the presentation tonight, but I just want to go one step further. When we think about what we're trying to do in the designs and being forward thinking, and so thank, thank you to you and your staff. Um, Jepson Parkway is obviously a critical part of that, that whole area of development, and we have to be forward thinking. And when we can identify funds that that make things happen and speed things up, don't like the six years, somehow, if you have something to do with it, you will, will find ways to shrink that. <laughs> I know you will, um, but yeah, thank you. That's, it's very important when we're trying to put the pieces together. Uh, I don't have a, I, I thought I didn't have a ball story, but I, 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 I segued into one. I stopped getting phone calls because the tennis balls are flowing again <laughs> out there. So thank you. I appreciate that. You, you don't realize uh, sports activities are very important for our community. So when we think of Parks and Rec, um, you know when you, you hear it when it's not working. And so what that really means is that it works so well most of the time because of, of you and your staff. And uh, we need, it's like it makes it very easy to say we need more. And whether it's tennis or pickleball or basketball courts, it's not just for the youth, it's for the families, it's for the experience. And that, um, it really is, is what community is. We hear people coming out tonight, they, they try to describe what is community, whether it's family, whether it's sports, whether it's school, um, it's what defines us. And I got a call from someone this afternoon um, that we had scheduled and just wanted me to be aware, and, and I heard it in some of the comments tonight when it comes to development. How do we maintain our local hometown feel? And it's 15 minutes isn't long enough to try and have that conversation because we're trying to build for, um, it, for us an aging population, youth to stay here that's affordable. I mean, I, I too have had to experience this by watching my own family one at a time leave, affordability issues. So it's very personal. And, uh, and so I think as a council that we're committed to doing that. But uh, Aaron, thank you, you know, for, for the work that you're doing. And I know this is gonna be a difficult year in getting all this done. A uh, couple other things real quickly, and that is um, have to do a shout out every time I have conversations with people about why don't we have this or why don't we have that? You know, you name the store, everybody wants it. And uh, at some point, it'd be really nice to get an update on economic development. Just to, it doesn't have to be long, but maybe a presentation on the things that are coming. Most people don't go to our website. It's like, where do you go to find out the exciting things that are happening? Well, I get to just, <laughs> I get to walk in into Don Burris's office and interrupt his work. But uh, 
but there's so many exciting things, but it caused one of the things that I did here tonight, and that is, is a belief that, um, you know, 100 jobs lost. And I just wanna, to be clear to those who might be watching, it's very important to our city and our community and our staff in the very moment that we were noticed. Uh, there, we were part of the meetings and the discussions. And so there are real conversations on the back end of this because those are real people and real families that would be impacted. But there's a lot more to that story. And uh, I don't want people to feel misinformed that somehow that, uh, that there's a plant that's gonna shutter and everyone's going to be gone. That is farthest from the truth and we're working through it as staff. So I appreciate the staff that's working on it and uh, turning, as they would say, lemonade out of lemons. There's, there's always a silver lining in this. And so being optimistic about this at this point. So more to come on that. And, and then the, the last thing is, because um, I don't need to repeat what's already been said about the events. Obviously, the National Night Out is fantastic. A lot of construction on the highway. It's a two-year project. Uh, Brian, I know that, you, that you're very much connected to uh, STA, as I sit on the board, and, and Vice Mayor Wiley also is, uh, attends some of the subcommittee meetings. But uh, it's going to be very helpful. It's very congested. I do know that they did try to improve some of the striping, and there's a lot of positive that's coming out of it. But at some point, one thing that I know, and when it's done, it'd be really nice to, to really begin to have some pride driving through our, our city. Because when you drive from one end to the other, it just looks like rubble, not just the construction, but everything that's left behind. And I know that there is conversations uh, I've had with the city manager and also you, Brian, about maybe possibilities in the future of where we might have some more control over that. And so I'd like to see more of that in the future. Uh, just because it's our city, we need to have pride in it. And it's like having a, a tenant that's absent, that doesn't, that appears to not care the way we care. And I want, this, I want the state to understand that we do care and I appreciate you leaning in any way we can on that. Uh, and with that, just one final plug. If, if you are interested in making sure that we continue to have a vibrant city, shop and dine in our city. If you have the choice, do it in our community. Go downtown. Go into the, the businesses that when we, when we brag about the, the, um, the home-owned businesses, the small businesses, that's the only way they survive. And uh, I just say that, and I say that to myself as well. So with that, uh, that that'll, uh, Vice Mayor Wiley, did you have something else you wanted to share? My Thursday's packed, but one of them is not going to the Travis Air Force Base. That's actually Friday. The Magnolia Park is actually Saturday. So I want to make that correction. Okay. <laughs> so thank you. And National Night Out is Tuesday, not Monday. So there you go. <laughs> make sure we got it clear. <laughs> I'm glad you're listening. <laughs> All right, well, that's good clarification. Because I was starting to look at my calendar just then, and so you reminded me that it is Friday. Right? <laughs> Thank you. And with that, uh, item 12, we have a closed session. Uh, I'd like to just share real quick, the, this is a real property negotiations discussion. The property is the Harbison House and the related ground lease. Uh, tonight's closed session does involve this and the assets owned and held by the Backfield Museum Foundation. Although, although there are is no financial interest which would prevent my participation in this matter. I do need to disclose for the record that in my role as mayor, I serve on the museum's board of trustees.
With that, we're going to go into closed session and uh, there will be nothing to report out tonight. And with that, we will adjourn. Good night, Becca.